2: Welcome to Money Making Conversation. I am your host, Rashawn McDonald. It is time to stop reading other people's success stories and start writing your own. I always tell people, leave with your gifts. Don't let your age, friends, family, or coworkers stop you from planning or living your dream. My interviews that I do on Money Making Conversation provide the consumer and business owner access to celebrities, CEOs, entrepreneurs, and industry decision makers. I got my next guest. Her book is what I say every time I start this show. Don't let your age, friends, family, or coworkers stop you from planning or living your dreams. No matter who you are, how you think, how they, how, you, how they think you should look, this is what her book are. My next guest is, I call her Kiki, Kira Sheard Kelly. Last time I interviewed her, she wasn't Kelly, but that's all right. That's all right. She is Grammy winner, stellar award-winning artist, actress. She portrayed her mother in the Lifetime biopic, The Clark Sisters, First Ladies of Gospel. It is Lifetime's highest-rated movie since 2016, and she's an entrepreneur. Her company, 1160, a very successful clothing line for four-figured women, and now author, Big Bold, and beautiful, owning the woman God made you to be. It is an inspirational memoir book for your mind, body, spirit, and if you're an entrepreneur, your business. Please welcome to Money Making Conversation. She's my friend Kiki, Kier Shear Kelly. How you doing, my friend?
3: I am doing well.
2: How are you? Well, I'm excited. You know, I always get excited talking to you because you're an inspirational to me. I have a 23-year-old daughter. And so and whenever you come on the show, I look for, you're the people in her peer group, you know, because you are... She looked to up to you. She follows you. She she finds uh your unblinding faith, your uh, your ability to achieve success. And I usually use you as an example a lot of times. So whenever you come on the show, I'm always excited, and she gets excited. So her name is Christiana McDonalds. But
4: hey Cristiana.
2: <laughs> Thank you. Now let's talk about this book. Before we talk about the book, let's talk about now that the movie been out. You know, because when I interviewed you, the movie came out. But now we've had a year of the movie being out. How has that transformed your life? The movie I'm talking about is The Clark Sisters' First Ladies of Gospel.
3: Well, it has changed my life in so many ways. One way is when I go to the store now, it seems like more people know who I am and they're relating to me as Karen or calling me Karen. Um, so it has changed my life in that way. But it also stretched me, to be honest, um, trying to portray my mother uh, vocally and just as a person because she's so gracious and she's like a quiet storm who is not intimidated by people, but it comes off as like a innocence or like a, it's just so soft. Off. I had to kind of pull back while working on that role. So it's changed my life as a woman. And I think it prepared me to not knowing then while I was actually doing the role as a single woman that it was preparing me to be a wife and a mother just to see things differently. Um, so it really has changed my life in so many ways. Of course, it was a resume builder, but mm-hmm. it was me performing for my mother. And so it was really special for me.
2: Well, it was special in a lot of ways because, you know, you revealed you pull back to the, the In other words, you know, you, they told a story about your grandmother, told a story about your mom and her Mm -hmm. sister's experience in dealing with your grandmother. Some of it was rather sensitive and which is great because it was a story about a woman pushing her children to be the best that they could be. And I kind of take that away and I, and fast forward, I look at the book, Big, Bold and Beautiful. That book is about pushing you and your friends pushing you and helping you and supporting you to be the best Kiki you can be. Is that correct? Mm -hmm.
3: Absolutely. And it's so important because, you know, I'm a woman of faith. So I believe in the scripture when it says that iron sharpens iron. And I was just talking to my friend, Tasha Cobbs Leonard, and she brought out a great point. She said, when you say iron sharpens iron, it could be negative iron that's sharpening negative iron, or it could be positive versus positive. And so I think it's so important, which I talk about it in the book. Self-care has everything to do with your squad. You know, how they're pouring into you, how they're pushing you into destiny how they're reminding you of the promises of God you have people around you who's always picking at you and negative Nancy or negative Joe or whoever you want to call it it's like it'll drain you and it'll cause you to believe the complete opposite of what you've been dreaming so I think it's so important to be uh, very particular with who's in your space because you can have somebody that's against you and they can cover themselves up it's like a what do they say a wolf in sheep's clothing so it's so important that we are selective in that area yes
2: well, you know, it's important we talk about this. Cause I'm going to slow everything down because I want everybody to understand the value of this book. And it's not a value that just a female gender can, can take nuggets away. I'm a successful person in this business. I'm a male. And and when I started reading the book, I went, okay, relatable. Because one of the chapters where you talk about, um, I always have a phrase, you know, you can't save everyone. You know, Mm -hmm. you only have one life jacket. You got to let them go. You talk about it in one of your chapters about that, about people around you and not understanding that, you know, you can't worry sometimes about other people's rent or the food on their table if they're not, if they don't worry about it. And there's a chapter about that. And it was really from a business and from a life perspective. I was floored at the um, relatability because yeah. I go, wow, this is how I think. And so when some people do memoirs, and you're such a young person, I'm going to remind you of that. You're a young person. Yeah. and But you also say, I've lived a, an adult life, you know. Yeah. And so, and we're going to get into that in the book because, but let's talk about that whole chapter where you wrote about people around you, and then you taking it personal, how you should treat them. You over worry about them, what they think about you. Because it does, as an entrepreneur, beyond a relationship can be damaging, Correct
3: absolutely 100 percent and one thing that i've learned and i talk about it in the book is that when dealing with people you have to understand you're not just dealing with what you have on the surface but you're also dealing with the culture that they've come from the trauma that they've experienced so you're not just responding in that moment to the comment they made it's a lot of things that are behind that statement you know when we communicate with each other or sometimes and i'm nowhere in the culture now where everybody is living for the read ready to let somebody (laughs) have it i'm about to show this person why they sleep? why they but i guess for me the way i have been moving through life what has changed my perspective is to simply understand you're not just responding to the person you're responding to their life circumstances that have molded them into who they are today and some people do things and it's not everything should not be taken personally so i absolutely agree with you and if we don't have that understanding and if we're always taking things personally we'll always be responding to any and everything to where it'll take so much energy it'll shift our focus off of what we really should be focused on onto that person and just that scenario and so I have had to learn that the picture is bigger than me it's it's so far beyond one moment like be a student at every opportunity you get but even in the uh, book I talk about it's a chapter called making the most of every opportunity yes, ma'am. and I just had to learn that
2: absolutely That's chapter four <laughs> That's the chapter where Shamika, you know, and y'all went to West Africa, you know, and you couldn't yes. just, y'all read your book now. I read your book now. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you know, here's the beauty of uh, this book. Okay, uh, we're talking. To, I'm talking to uh, Kiki or Kier Sheer Kelly. We're going to talk about Jordan in a minute, you know, because uh, she had to she had to figure out how to find him, and, and she talks about that journey. Because sometimes, you know, at one point in her life, let me get ahead of the story because I want to go back a little bit about. Yes. This is why I really love the book, because you, you're beautiful, you're, you're, you're faith, you come from a, a legacy family, a gospel, and sometimes people can see a, a certain degree of perfection, and we talk about that a little bit mm-hmm. in your book, you know, the, the silver spoon chapter, yeah. and, and finding yourself. And in the process of that, when you talk about the bad relationship, I went, wow. You know, because people don't think you have a bad relationship. People don't think that you have bad days. And I felt to me, and it's written early on in the book because I thought that was important because any young reader, especially young women readers, I thought that was important that you allowed yourself to show us a side of you that we didn't see. We see see success. We see awards. We see a happy marriage. We see photo ops and Essence and magazines and online. But that was important that you wrote the truth to a degree of showing people that I am just like you. I have bad days. I make mistakes in the men that I select. I am not perfect. Tell us about the importance of that.
3: Well, first, it's important. One scenario that I remember um, when I started to understand the significance and the process of healing is when I fell off of a bike, and I think I talk about this in the book, but I fell off of a bike mm-hmm. and my mom, of course, she told me, you know what to do, go ahead and put on a Band-Aid. But she <laughs> noticed that I kept getting in the tub and taking showers with the same Band-Aid, not cleaning it, and just the sore or the scab began to get soggy. So it wasn't healing properly. So it was becoming something more than what it actually was in that moment. So speaking of transparency, Elena, things out. It's a part of healing. You have to let oxygen into your womb so that they can heal properly. And that's what I'm doing through my life and through me speaking about it, through me talking about it. But not only that, this form of healing, which as a woman of faith, there's a scripture that says confess your faults one to another that you may receive healing. Therapy did not come from culture. Therapy came from God. He says, I'm going to give you people that you can talk to. But the latter part of that scripture says the prayers of the righteous availeth much. It's just all in who I talk to. If I'm talking to the right person, a righteous individual, I can trust that then they can carry my secrets, carry my issues and then take them to God because I need someone to take me to God or carry me to God when I can't get myself to them. And so that even speaks to the self squad piece of it. But that's why I wanted to be transparent here because I want you to know that I can relate. And I think the the connectivity again, like we've mentioned, it's all in providing a solution for someone who may feel like they're alone very often we'll soak in it we'll get into depression we'll become anxious and it's because we feel like we're alone and so with this conversational approach and me hoping that the reader will be like you know what this is my girl I can relate I connect I'm hoping that they will become free from listening and reading to that so reading the book so that was my whole intent transparency is healing me but it's in return healing the reader as well
2: well well you had attitude in this book too Especially with that dude. That dude, dude, he going to call you unattractive and mess with your weight. And you could, hey, maybe my bigness is just too enough for your smallness. I went, hey, man. Hey,
3: man. Come on. (laughs) <laughs> and, and you know what? It's so many of us who allow people to speak to us. And, and sometimes it comes from places we don't expect. Mm-hmm. And so I, and just to answer your question in Direct, because I know I went far left field, but I wanted to talk about it because I had to get it wrong for me to understand what was right. Mm-hmm. And that's what led me to my husband now, this healthy relationship. Mm-hmm. Like before, I was like, hey, I want to pray in my relationships, or I want you to call me a little bit more often. Send me a text. Mm-hmm check on me in another relationship that was too much for them Mm -hmm. but now that I'm with my husband and just in the first dating steps of you know with Jordan he showed me that I wasn't too much it was just that I was asking someone who only had a pint um, to pour into this gallon size of milk now I'm with Jordan he can give me a gallon I can give him a gallon Mm -hmm. we're filling each other up and so that's why I Mm -hmm. wanted to tell young women that too the other problem was speaking of young people My father told me the root word Of dating is data Talk about money making conversation We put up (laughs) ourselves for discount Louis Vuitton don't go on discount Mm -hmm. Why do you think you need to put yourself Up on discount so Make sure you understand that you Don't have to play wife to someone That's only making themselves available As boyfriend play the game And as Steve Harvey said Think act like a woman but think like a man And so that's why I had to play the game And I had to learn listen I I may not be your cup of tea, but I'm for sure a hot, spicy cup of tea. It's some it's some ginger in there, okay? (laughs)
2: I'm telling you, this is the book. This is the book. I'm telling you, I I'm telling you something. I am so excited. You know, this this whole book, The Big, Bold, and Beautiful, only the Woman God Made You to Be. And that's just a, 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 a a sample size of what came out and just hit me in my face in a positive way because this, this, we're, we're in an interesting life because like you said when you was 18 in the period when you hit the record labels they only want to take pictures of your face and profiles they didn't really want to take yeah. a picture of your full body that was before you know the curved dove came out with those curvy ads and the curvy full-figure models were hitting the runways and all that talk about that period because i have a lot of parents listening to the show, and I may have some young adults, especially women. And this is about the section I really want to focus on, the women conversation. Because men in general don't have the, the physical size issues that women have to deal with because commercials tell you should look like this. Commercial print ads tell you you should wear this size and things like that. And then we're going to get into... You've been launching that 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 what someone would consider a negative experience into a successful business, eleven sixty. But talk about when you was eighteen at the record label.
3: Yeah, um, I'm so excited that you read the book. You're gonna make me cry. <laughs> but I have to say. Um, that was a, a an interesting experience, and I think I mentioned before while we were talking. Sometimes you have this pushback from areas that you didn't expect it, and it can be from places that you trusted, hoping that it'll be a place too that would build you up. But that's the moment where you figure out, oh, you're there to tear me down. It was just you had to get in good with me, and so I definitely had that that experience where um, you know I just dealt with industry pr- uh, pressure, right, and. Um, as simple as I am, I often still have to tell people, you know, listen, I love God. I'm, I'm a simple girl. I don't want to always put on. And I think this, uh, the new culture and even the listeners in the, the demo, they're learning that I don't got to do all of that, you know, anymore. Mm -hmm. And if I don't, there is an audience that is waiting to hear from me. And of course, now I'm not saying don't change your position in heart, because I think it's so important that we remain students at heart, because that's what makes you timeless. But I think uh, the other piece that young women should know is to not compare yourselves. Uh, I think Theodora Roosevelt said before that comparison is the thief of joy. You'll find yourself trying to catch up with culture saying is the pretty thing to do or the thing to do and find that it's un- unobtainable for you because that was never for you. That wasn't assigned to you. And so speaking of the word big in this this uh, book, uh, it was it was an insecurity for me once upon a time, but I had to stop asking people what they thought about me in my life, and I had to ask God, "What do you think?" Mm-hmm. Let me ask the inventor about his invention rather than going with people that's just trying to figure out how do I stay in touch with you. But I have those chapters in a book, and one chapter, chapter eight, it says, "Stop comparing yourself." Oh, you stole my! You,
2: I'm, I'm so mad that. at you! You stole my thunder because I was about to say that's chapter eight. I'm about to say, "Stop comparing yourself." It's chapter eight. You making me mad now. I gotta let you know I love this book, girl. I love Thank this book.
1: You.
3: That's chapter eight. You just yes, recited sir. chapter eight. Yes, sir. And I was gonna throw out there chapter um chapter be- 14 too, mm-hmm. where I say stop looking at the other woman because you've got the juice. The, the, and sometimes The quote
2: I love out of chapter eight is no one had the power to be me.
3: Yeah,
2: that's in cha- that's the quote I wrote down out of chapter eight. That's why it stood with me because you know, you know, I'm I'm, I'm having a great conversation with yeah. you, and I just want to just let you know that I'm I, it resonated with me because in the end, you know, you, you writing a book, you know, I've been fortunate to be around. Individuals who've written successful books. As you start to write, you have a story, but then you start taking layers off. And you go, wow, I forgot about that. I forgot about that. And then I know in writing this book, layers are starting to get peeled back. And it also is a relief. Like you said, to be able to tell your story was a blessing for the reader, but also a blessing for From you, for you, because of the fact that you were able to get these layers out and realize how much you've grown as a person, because at one point in your life, you just want to get married. You just felt there was a need to get married. And I want to bring that up because sometimes a man, in this case, because you're a woman, a man will walk into your life. That doesn't mean that's the man. And, and and that's what this book talks about because the man that she eventually got with who had that gallon of water because she needed a gallon of water, she had known him all her life. Right. He, he had been walking around all his life and he didn't even know it either. So it wasn't on her. It wasn't just on her not seeing that they, that they both was walking into church or walking through life half-filled. They had eventually slowed down and realized we've been looking at at the wrong opportunity, when the mm. opportunity was sitting right across the aisle, in this case, church. Talk about that. Come on. Uh, I, I know I'm preaching a little bit for you, Miss Kiki. You know what I'm saying? Yes,
3: you <laughs> are. <laughs> you are dropping gems and I'm loving it. Um, I, I, I can only agree with you. I think, too, a part of that evolution for me was me having the time of being single. So there's also a chapter in the book where I talk about being successfully single because you have to find yourself. Because like you said, every person that comes in your life that ain't always the one. And I think it goes back a point to the, a, a, again, to the point that dad mentioned, which was date the person, collect the information mm-hmm. so you can uh, draw the conclusion or the final result. So I, I definitely agree. I think you said it all, but again, my husband showed me that, no, you're not complicated. It's just, you were asking the wrong person to love on you and they weren't equipped to give you what you needed. Mm-hmm. And so I definitely agree with that. I don't, I And and I think, too, if we're not careful, because we are in the wrong place, we'll begin settling. We'll say, I've been asking for this. I've been praying for this. Mm -hmm. And we'll look at everybody else's life. Like I said once upon a time, what was Sierra's prayer with Russell? (laughs) Um, And so I understand what that's like. But we also have to get to a place where I'm not settling for anything outside of what I asked for. Like, know that it's out there. If God put it in you uh, to ask for it in prayer, if you have the audacity to think of it then it's obtainable it's just make sure you're available and open to love but i was so closed off in wanting one thing to work that i completely had shut off every you know all of the great possibilities right so i agree with you 100
2: well you know uh by the way successfully single is chapter 12 okay <laughs> <laughs> chapter two just let y'all know we just breaking down the chapters as you go along because now i want to go back before we wrap up i want to talk about the entrepreneurship because that's the part of this that really blew this book up for me because of, it's, it's written from a woman's perspective but it also layers out how you took a negative you know uh, uh and turned it into a business but along the way you had to uh you know, because because it was a link that I, I think LaKeisha sent to you.
5: Oh, yeah, the
2: LaKeisha sent to you that that enabled you to get into Macy's, and so that's why you said you are the ball. That's the that's the God is the ball. God is your agent. That's that chapter. Yes, God is the that's your it. agent. Your chapter. And, uh, you ran this <laughs> book. <mom. laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I'm tell you something. I'm tell you something, Keith. I, um, you know, I, I first uh, reason I'm excited because you know I, I've interviewed you, and we've we've we've, we've uh we've because we like it, our tone, but yes. to really see the, how beautiful you are and how how you 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 giving us a blessing in this book to be able to change life. That's because that's what think like a man. Uh, did for a lot of women it just opened their eyes and this book can do so much for so many young women women who are trying to start businesses women who are frustrated in relationships, women who are doubting themselves physically mentally yeah. emotionally but more importantly the fastest growing business uh franchise of, uh, of, of of the business world are women and especially women of color and to write a book where I think lends so many value lessons of how to cause I have even talked about Courtney and Courtney that's your ride or die you know what I'm saying when her yeah. boy was being stupid you called Courtney and she didn't say nothing negative about you she didn't throw it back in your face she said hey come with me girl let's go over here let's keep supporting you and so but these are the people that we talk about you lay out you say Rashawn you gotta have the people cause you know it was funny when you was talking about Courtney I was thinking about my ride or die dude who was that person so you made me sit back and go okay mr successful who is your courtney Because you got to have a coordinate. You got to have somebody to call when you're down because you're going to have down days. You're going to have doubtful days. Who is that person? But more importantly, that led you to become an entrepreneur. And that's where you had, you know, your your other girl stepping in, your travel mate, went all over the world, career, everything for your business. and was sitting right there with you at Macy's launching your didn't know what you was really doing, but you did it. That was faith. But that was also having somebody support your dream. Talk about that.
3: It's so important. And, and I've been in a space where I've had people around that were there, you know, just by work and happenstance, but they weren't really in my corner. They didn't understand my vision. Um, and it's like, you know, OK, how do we collaborate together? How are we you know, life partners is not just in a marriage. It has everything to to do with your purpose. When you make decisions in your work or in your career, it shouldn't feel like work. It should feel like fun. Like I'm just, I'm just living on purpose. This is just what I'm called to do. And I think that when you're prayerful and asking God, Lord, give me this sense of discernment so I can know who is assigned to me and who's supposed to walk this journey for me or with me. Because there are expiration dates on some relationships and connections that we have. But if we don't respect them, then we'll get exasperated. We can become sick. It's like if we drink some milk that has an expiration date on it. Eventually it'll make us sick. Our bodies won't respond well to it. And so it's the same thing with people. So you said it again, from reading the book, <laughs> but it's so important to make sure that tribe, and I talk about it again twice. So it was Squad Goals, and then it was another chapter called mm-hmm. Finding Your Tribe. Mm-hmm. When you going out into the earth, you it's not you can't fight everything. You need somebody to have your back. And so those names that you call, they're simply women who I have said is family. And you know what? If you allow me as a woman of faith, I'm always giving scripture. But there's a scripture that says um, I will give you a friend that is closer than the brother. That wasn't Jesus that they were talking about. They were talking about human beings. And so I think we should understand that covenant relationships are ordained. By heaven, and God loves us through people, but it's just a matter of who are the people we're saying yes to. Because the adversary, the appoint, the opponent, he also uses people. So make sure you say yes to the right people. Wow,
2: you know, um, nothing that I expected this from you, uh, and don't uh, apologize. Uh, It's been inspirational, but the the whole prospect of. Would you say as Faith when you was at Macy's with Shemika? Your girl, your your ride or die, Korea, you know, Dubai. I'm just I'm just calling out some countries that y'all went to, you know, you know West Africa, you know, just to let you know your boy read the book, you know. Just in case you thought I was stumbling, you know, I, I'm not reading nothing. I'm not reading nothing. I'm just I'm just I'm just coming from you know God's memory. That's all key. That's all over there. God's memory right here.
3: But, I love it. But you know, thank it, you so much. I think it was it was a it was a faith piece for sure mm-hmm. because um, it. I looked at it as spam when my cousin Keisha sent it to me. I was like, girl, you know how they send those chain text messages and they say sign up for this. And I'm like, I'm not signing up for this. Like it was just like whatever. So I really wasn't expecting every opportunity, even this book opportunity. If you allow me to use that as a reference point, the opportunity was in an email account that I just had put aside for spam, but something told me, and you know, again, excuse me, I'm a church girl. So you know how the season season saints, they'd say, girl, that wasn't something, that was the Holy Ghost. But something told me to go and check the email and here I am bumping into a book opportunity. And so I definitely think it was divine, but I think and I believe that God uses people to hand you what belongs to you, that he, he gives you Those moments, and that's why I said it in that chapter um, God as my agent, because sometimes you know, PR management they. I mean, believe me when I say they put in the hard work and it has everything to do with where we're going and where we are. But sometimes God does things so that only he can get the glory. And so I will say, you know, God took me there, but there was some other moments where I had to work for it. So even in the word, it says you got to put action to your faith so you can believe a thing. But what you going to do when you get there? So a lot of us are like, oh, I want this. I want that. I want this. I want that. But are you ready for it? Is your character gonna keep you there is your work ethic gonna keep you there so I definitely think it is two things that are colliding together and it is my faith and my action
2: I'm just I've been loving it. You know, I, I rarely do I have interviews where it's a motivational. This is a motivational interview right here. I, I you just dropping these nuggets. I was just sitting back on do your thing, girl, do your thing. What do I pass the plate? What do I pass the plate? Because you are <laughs> dropping scriptures, you're dropping the truth. But more importantly, you've written an amazing book, big, bold, and beautiful, owning the woman God made I love this part. Owning the woman God made you to be. That's, Mm -hmm. it's not about your mistakes that you made in the past. It's not about what people think of you now. It's who, what do you think of yourself? And that's what this journey is about in this book. Because if every woman who reads this book, I'll just tell you the woman, because I'm talking, I've grew up with six sisters. I have Mm -hmm. only one child. She's female, my daughter, love her to death. And and, and I love what you've done because you've given her an opportunity to read an inspirational, motivational, I would say uh, book, you know, of entrepreneurship. And uh, based on your memoir, and you was honest enough, honest enough to tell us, share some of your stories. And all stories aren't good stories, but if they're told for the right reason, they are a blessing. Mm-hmm. And I consider this book a blessing.
3: Thank you, thank you so much, and I appreciate you supporting me <laughs> in both in both fields. With the music, we talk, yes. and now with the book, we talk. And don't I forget just, three, three, the I mean. movie,
2: the, the music, the movie, four, four, the clothing line, eleven sixty, yeah. the music, you know, the movie, and now this amazing book. I'm dropping it in my newsletter. I'm dropping it on my social media. Again, thank you for coming on my show. Money Making Conversations uh, is going to premiere nationally uh, on on, uh, TV in May. And so I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm I'm we're gonna drop this early now because I want to drop it down the time of your book. But I'm gonna also re-air this in May. So if you get a little uplift in your book sale, your boy Rashawn McDonald took care of you. Okay, Miss Miss Kelly, Miss Kelly, thank Miss Kelly,
6: you so Miss, much.
2: Miss 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 the McDonald's. wife, the wife of Jordan, the wife of Jordan. That's all, the wife of Jordan. <laughs> thank you for coming on the show. I Really, thank you for coming on Money Making Conversations. Okay.
0: Yes, sir. Thank you. Have a wonderful day. It's finally here, the season of celebration. And no matter how you celebrate with family and friends, whether you're preparing for Reyes Magos or Karamu, lighting the menorah, or going to Midnight Mass, Kohl's has just what you need to make those traditions special. Plus, you'll find gifts for all your loved ones. Send warm wishes with cozy fleeces, sweaters, loungewear, blankets, and throws. So this season, give with all your heart with great gifts from Kohl's or Kohl's.com. If I could be you. And you could be me. For just one hour.
6: If you could find a way.
0: To get inside. Each other's mind.
6: Walk a mile in my shoes. Walk a mile in my
2: shoes. Walk a mile mile in in my shoes. shoes. We've all felt left out. And for some,
6: that feeling lasts more than a moment. We can change that. Learn how at
0: belongingbeginswithus.org brought to you by the ad council
1: Walk a mile in my shoes.
2: Hi, I am Rashawn McDonald, host of MoneyMakingConversation.com. The Café Mocha Swag Award is a celebration of black men making a difference in our community by empowering others to reach their life goals. They can be civic leaders, people in business, activists, celebrities, and everyday dads. The Café Mocha Swag Award honoree this week is Kevin Bledsoe, Don't Limit Your Dreams. Kevin is a two-time Hoodie Awards winner for Best Barbecue in Los Angeles. Bledsoe has become a top television personality and food star. He has grown his business from the streets of comp in California, into an international empire, from La Brea in Hollywood to Crown Casino in Melbourne, Australia.
1: I, I don't give to be blessed. I'm blessed, so I give. It's not no secret recipe to this. You know, it, it, it has to come from your heart. Mm-hmm. It's more of the good things that outweigh the bad things. Right. And mm-hmm. God has put me in position to
2: help like that. The Cafe Mova Swag Award represents men who have strength, whose wisdom is assertive, and who is genuine in their spirit.
0: We will be right back with more money making conversations with your host, Rashawn McDonald. Welcome back to Money Making Conversations with your host, Rashawn McDonald.
2: My next two guests, they ain't following that celebrity, definitely entrepreneurs, but they're also decision makers because they changed our views. My next two guests are Erica Alexander and Whitney Dow. They've teamed up for a new podcast that explores the full picture of reparations with arguments both for and against restitution for Black American descendants of enslaved people. Let's set the stage for our conversation as we discuss reparations. Erica Alexander is beloved for iconic acting roles as living single, Get Out, series like Black Lightning. She wears many hats, not only as an actress, but as a trailblazing activist, <laughs> entrepreneur, creator, producer, and director. Basically, she's an all-around boss, okay? <laughs> Whitney Dow, he's an <laughs> award-winning filmmaker and educator. He's been producing and directing films focused on race and identity for almost two decades. And is partner of a two-tone productions. his directing credits include one— I'm very familiar with two towns of Jasper. I sit where I want. The legacy of Brown versus Board of Education, unfinished country, and when the drama is beating. His producer credits include Freedom Summer, Banished, How Whites Drove Blacks Out of Town in America. Please welcome. As I've set the tone, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the money-making conversation, the host of Reparations, the big payback, Erica Alexander and Whitney Dow.
4: thank you that's that's uh, we're glad to be here and um, congratulations on everything you're doing and all the success and also highlighting um, our work and others um, like us we appreciate it well
2: you. First of all, thank you for coming on the show. And I wanted to set this tone of who we're talking about because in the past, and Whitney's on the, he's on video as well as audio would as well because the show plays back on television as well as on podcasts. And the reason I wanted to bring you on the show because I'm about Whitney's age and through life, I've heard this reparation tone being thrown out there. And usually it's some person who looks kind of disheveled on the street in New York City holding a cardboard sign that's <laughs> crooked, but somehow he's found a marker and he said, You owe me, and he's misspelled (laughs) reparations. Now I'm looking at a highly gifted actress, a highly talented producer and creator in Whitney and okay, this is not what I grew up on. This is not my mom's TV, okay?
4: (laughs) (laughs) You know, that is so funny. Yeah, you know what? I was about to say, Whitney, that we were going to go out to talk to people and I was going to say, we'll put the uh, the reparations (laughs) on the cardboard and they'll come to us. You're exactly right. That is something that has been in a sort of a marginalized community. Mm -hmm. And Whitney can speak to that very well because Mm -hmm. he's been working inside of race and talking about these things for a while. Go ahead.
6: Yeah, no, it's it's really uh, incredible. I think we, you know, Eric and I were talking about this earlier today about this moment that we're in, that we're. You know, last year we were listening to the major, the major uh, presidential camp candidates talking about reparations on the debate stage without fear, but actually because they knew it was something that Americans wanted to hear about. Thank you for bringing up my age, Rashawn. Appreciate that. You know that Erica's a little younger than we are, just a little. No, no, a lot. But yes, you can tell just by looking at the screen. So uh, the uh, but, but to think about when I was coming up and when you were coming up. Um, this wasn't even remotely a conversation that we thought could be had. And now we're in this moment when it feels, look, I don't have a crystal ball. I don't know if it's impossible, but it feels real. H.R. 40 feels like it has the possibility of finally passing and there can be an actual discussion about reparations in this country
2: reparations what does that mean when you, from a black perspective I'm going to ask both of you this question I'm going to ask you first Erica from a black perspective what does reparations mean because it seems because there's a lot of people who could stand in line for that starting with the American Indians Ooh. and also more recently the Japanese during the World War II when they were uh, putting them in in camps out of fear that they will cause some type of injury or were inside spies in America. So, but blacks were enslaved and they were brought over here against their will. And so now we're only talking about, you know, descendants of enslaved people. So... Now you're not including all black people. So how did that decision come about not to include? Why, why am I not getting my check now? I, 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 you know, I'm just saying.
4: Well, you know, <laughs> reparations is actually, we had Rizzo, uh, he actually read um, uh, the definition of reparations on episode two. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's compensation. That's what it is for war damages paid by a defeated state. That's a very sort of, that's what it is in the dictionary. Um, but if you've made something wrong, you're making amends for that wrong. And that's what reparations is it's pay money or some sort of something that helps those that you have wronged. That's reparations. Why aren't you getting them? Um, it's because Black people weren't in a position to advocate for themselves mm-hmm. after slavery. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a brief period during Reconstruction where they discussed it. And everybody knows about 40 acres of a mule and about, you know, uh, um, Sherman's bill that they asked him to put forward. Um, But then what happened is that racism settled back in Jim Crow. All these things happened. Uh, Reconstruction stopped. And that's why you didn't get it. And then by the time the civil rights civil rights um, period comes up, people are starting to talk about um, uh, the rights that we have or don't have then. Uh, It wasn't the time, maybe to bring that up when you're trying to just survive. But people did bring it up during the civil rights um, period and they brought it up all during it. And we'll talk about the types of people, Callie House and others, um, Whitney loves that story of Cali House and Queen Mother Moore, people like that who kept trying to get reparations, pensions and other ways to, um, to help blacks. But we didn't have any power. More importantly, the people in power did not care and or want to do it because they saw as us still as being subhuman, and we'd have to just make out on our own. So now that we have power, we're trying to say, don't ask why we didn't get it thin. Ask why now that we have power, how can we get it to uh, help the descendants of American slaves now? Okay, cool. Now, that's
2: always coming from you, that's a perspective. You're a woman of color. A person of color. You, you that angry generation. You, you, you've been disenfranchised. You know what I'm saying? Like I said, but now, now Whitney, okay, you're a white guy. All right, now, what, well, what, what's your problem? What's, what's your, what's your problem with talking with this black young lady over here about reparations? Okay, you really hurting our cause, sir. Okay, can you be quiet? I know you made a lot of movies that have really been equal. A lens for uh, injustice uh, uh, and and keeping it right and parallel to the the course of righteousness for black and brown people. But why are you, Whitney, getting involved with Erica?
6: Well, you know, it's funny, you know, with all the work that I've done and I sort of had a couple of sort of moments in those lives where I always kind of felt, I think like a lot of white people, I think that, you know, race and racism or the structures of the racist structures of our country. I was kind of like thought of thought of um, as an sort of outside myself, something that someone who I believed that um, I wanted to, I believed in social justice. I believed in equality, but I had to work on these things. And the moments, the big switch for me is realized. no, that's all embedded in me. And mm-hmm. that I need to be working for all the roads that I was following down led back to myself is that I needed to take action. I needed to recognize my part in the paradigm and see how I could shift it so that I really believe that this is going to sound weird in the context of this show, but, but white people are suffering from the fact that this injury has never been repaired. And I really feel that we cannot be full citizens of this country, and in some ways, even fully moral humans, until we make restitution, if we try and repair the damage of slavery. And I think that part of that is not even whether we can do it effectively, but we have to make the attempt. We have we have to make the attempt. And you know what we were talking about earlier about what it is, I mean, one of the things... That's, you know I, 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 you know, I often joke with Erica about that I'm, what I'm relieved about is that, you know, the, when you talked earlier about who gets it and who doesn't get it, mm-hmm. being a white person, I know I don't have standing to make that decision mm-hmm. to weigh in with an opinion on that. Mm-hmm. I have the easy job. I just have to advocate for it. Now, mm-hmm. you guys have to figure out how it gets done and gets distributed. Absolutely.
2: Absolutely, I, I 100% agree. I, you know, I look at this. I remember when Steve Harvey and I was doing live radio in Los Angeles, so ninety point three to beat. And every time this guy would come by, and he had this little book, and it was a dirty book. So he was <laughs> with pictures. The, the pages were bent, and and he would he would make his claim to me. Because he wanted to get on the morning show. He always, okay, you got to let me speak today. I got to tell the truth. I got to let people know. And every, every, I said, sir, I can't. I, I, What facts, what are you backing this up on? What facts are you basing your claim for reparation? Because he definitely did not look like you, Erica. And he definitely did not look like you, <laughs> Whitney, okay? Nor did he have the credits or the uh, background to allow me to actually... At least you guys can talk because you have one one up. You have the credits allowed to have a real legitimate voice. So I, I go, okay, I want to hear your side of the story, which is a blessing because if you don't have that, then you can just To the side, like I did him, all those years he kept coming to me trying to get on the Steve Harvey Morning Show. Now, you're on my show, Money Making Conversation, popular platform. Now, has that been a blessing for you, Erica, to be able to come on shows, to do
4: national articles, to have a podcast, to finally get this story out? It has been a blessing. It's also a burden. Anybody that's in this type of work, you get exhausted by it. Talking about these issues is difficult because it brings up all sorts of conversations in your life or, you know, challenges or disappointments you might've had and sort of thinking why, but it is a blessing because it's part of what, I guess somebody passed me the baton a long time ago, people like Harriet Tubman, if she can go through those swamps and go back and forth and back and forth, I can do this. I can do a podcast. Right. Right. I can do whatever I need to do in order to help people move forward. And, and so it's, 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 um, it is a blessing. It's also a blessing to be on a show like yours to be discussing this, because that means that it is um, not only the zeitgeist, but it's it's happening among people who can help make the difference and bring it forward and then push it beyond um, mm-hmm. any one platform. And that's important because people have been trying to have this conversation for a long time. We're not the first. We won't be the last. You have Frederick Douglass. You have Du Bois, Garvey, all these people. Again, James Foreman, we actually talk about him on our show and how he interrupted uh, These church service at Riverside, and he demanded five hundred million dollars in reparations because he said that the um, the churches were complicit in slavery and, and oppression, and he wanted to hold them accountable. Mm. And um, you have um, groups like in Cobra and John Conyers in Congress, and what he's doing there, and of course Sheila Jackson Lee now with HR forty, and woman Robin Rue Simmons. We cannot forget her. And we'll talk more about her, what she's done in Evanston, Illinois, by passing the first reparations bill in history. We are following her with a documentary that we are both making, uh, Whitney and I. And um, that's why we're having it. The fact that we're here is proof of life.
2: You know, it is a, it, when this come question question is directed to you because you hear the word council culture, and the word council culture, you know, kind of started with the removal of the Confederate statues. And and I, I, I attest that uh my minors in sociology, my degree is in mathematics. And when I took sociology, ah. it really allowed me to understand what I didn't know about my black history. I didn't really know the values that I brought to the table because if you go to a typical um Public school or even private school. This is what happens to black people. This is the black history that's told to us. We came over to America. We were enslaved. We were freed. Okay. Then suddenly it skips all the way to uh, Brown versus the Board of Education. Then it goes to the Civil Rights marches. Then it goes to I Have a Dream speech. Then it goes to to goes to uh, uh, to Martin Luther King's assassination, and it kind of stops. This is those are our accomplishments that you kind of read. In history, and so when you say council culture, blacks have always had a council culture when it comes to being educated. The education is being fed to the masses, and so when I I get not angry, I just get annoyed that you use people use the word cancel culture, and unfortunately, it's coming from a majority of the white community that that word cancel culture. Can you expound on that? Because I think that's what makes a perfect pairing for you guys on this podcast. Because I can have this diverse conversation with. Both of you
6: guys. Well, I think that, you know, it's interesting. I think that white people also have a cancel culture in their history as well. It's just, it's different. We've canceled out all, we, we work really hard to cancel out all the bad things, the things that, that don't line up with how this sort of this idea of American exceptionalism and how we sort of see, always sort of been told, told ourselves as white people that we're sort of this, you know, white Americans are, you know, we're, we're an inherently good people that this thing. And I think that the parts that we're left out of are the, you know, the idea of, of this idea of you know, bootstrapping and sort of the lone cowboy against the you know riding out on the range, Well, with the lone cowboys now that's still the piece of the story that's left out is that before him rode an army that slaughtered the Native Americans so he could act out that independent act on his on his own. So I think that we're, we the, the, the idea is like I think you're exactly right. There's what we're trying to do is take those pieces that are missing, then add them to the story. And I just wanted to get back to something you said about Eric and the doing together. I think so much of the time, these stories are told separately. Yes. The stories of Black Americans. there's Black History Month, or there's this where it's, and, you know, I, I hate Black History Month. It should be History Month because your story and my story are the same story. They're, they're inherently intertwined. by taking them apart and trying to say they're different, we you you inherently diminish them. I think to understand Either one, you have to understand them both as, as, as how they're woven together.
2: You know, when I when I listen to your talk, and uh, I'm from Houston, Texas, born and native of Texas, okay, and a um, project that you were involved in called Two Towns of Jasper, and it, it was very emotional for me because it involves a uh, Black man being brutalized, murdered, and uh, humiliated by the way he was killed, being drugged behind a truck. You was involved in that, and it had a major impact in your life, and probably led you down the path that you're going in right now. Talk about coming into that project and why it was important to do a project like that that had nothing to do with you, nothing to do with your mission. Sure it wasn't a relative of yours, but you felt a need to do a project. It was called Two Towns of Jasper.
6: Well, that sort of, as I said, that was a major stepping off point. And I'm, you know, look, this this is called uh, Money Making Conversations. And yes. I, I'll make confession on here. When I went down to, to, to do that show, <laughs> I was, I wanted to make a film Mm-hmm. and I literally saw the, the press conference with Billy Rolls, the sheriff of Jasper, Texas, and he had that big 10-gallon yeah. hat, and he had like a car, two-tone Carhartt jacket and high-waisted like Wranglers. I was like, that guy is a movie star. I want to go down there. So I go down there, and it was, and the other thing, so he said that, that oh, yeah, we're, we're having, we're having, a, we're having, there's a big Klan rally here in support of the white community. I was like, got into my head, I was like, Wait a minute. This black man was just dragged to death in Texas and the Klan's coming to to rally in support of a white community. So I flew down there and the black, New Black Panther Party was off. there there having these counter demonstrations. And um, what happened is that I had actually gone down there because I thought, oh, if I want to make if I want to make money in advertising, I need to uh, make a movie that will sort of give me my ticket in. But what happened, and I think we t- were talking a little bit this about this uh, uh, before the show started, I went down, I drove down Tuff Creek Road where they dragged Bird's body. They chained him to a truck, three white men. And we're driving down and they had, s- they had spray painted circles where they had found all his different body parts on it. And we're driving and it went on and it went on and it went on and it went on for mile after mile, three miles. We get to the small black church at the end and you could see the imprint of his body where they laid this, he, he had been so, he had been so, uh, you know, braided by the road. And that moment in that space, like shook me so profoundly to my core. I really just, it was like one of those moments where my, my, my world just opened up and I, and I just felt at that moment, if I can make something that slightly communicates what I'm feeling here, And the horror that I'm feeling, and also the recognition I'm feeling of being a a white American standing in that spot, I will have created something with value. And that was really the beginning of the journey.
2: Wow. Eric, you're African
6: American. Your projects
2: have been Last time I checked. Absolutely. You know, when you walk in a room, you know, (laughs) somebody's going to let you know. Now, that's the beauty of being a... Uh, a person of color you know we can't run sure from you know we can't run from our skin tone when we walk in the room i don't care if we have several degrees i don't care if we billionaires That's sure. a black rich person that's a smart black person that just walked in the room True. Sure. now you're doing a, a, a podcast about reparations now how did this come together that you united and felt that voice could be better served by partnering with whitney how did you guys come together
4: um, we came together because uh, Joy Reed introduced us, actually. Uh, Joy Reid um, knew that we were both interested in doing something with a reparations, uh, you know, something project. Mm-hmm. And um, he, of course, has his uh, life and his credits and all the work that he's done. And I had just recently um, produced um, with Color Farm Media, my partner, Ben Arnon, the John Lewis Good Trouble documentary. And um, she said, you guys should get together. And that's how it happened. We got together in a cafe. We started cafe. We started talking about um, our work. Uh, he sort of explained to me some of his hesitation or uh, the things that he would be um, most concerned about going forward. I didn't have those concerns um, because I've been working and collaborating with so many different people my entire life that I've had to be flexible and sort of, you know, be a chameleon, those types of things. But I totally got, he wanted to make sure that we would um, be a good fit. And I, I did too. I didn't want this to fail because we, we failed to meet in what our goals were. And we were aligned. We have similar missions in life. We have um, really interesting sense of humor and we could laugh things off and, and move forward. But we also were very serious about the work. So that's how, what happened. We decided to do it and we got going on it. Then the pandemic hit. Mm -hmm. and um by that time we had been asked whether we wanted to do a podcast about it and um and those things sort of halted and i had already gone on the breakfast club to talk about the reparations documentary and Charlemagne the god asked me yo queen he gave me a call what's going on with that are you doing a podcast and because he had just gotten a deal to do his podcast network the black effect and i said well you know it's available you're interested and he goes yes And next thing you know, here we are, because of his resources and the power that he had in that space, um, we were making this podcast and we called it The Big Payback. This is a,
2: a great story. Now, Whitney, within her story, she said there was some reservations. What were your reservations, <laughs> Whitney? You? you know, I'm a good listener, that I'm, not,
6: yeah, a good, I'm say, not a good listener. I'm not a good listener. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll th- so, you know, Joy called and said, you know, you gotta meet Erica and her, and her partner Ben. And I said, okay. And you know, look, I'll just be really honest here in the show. I'll say, look, you know, uh, some movie star actress, some beautiful movie star actress, I need, I, I need that in my life. I said, you know, I said, oh, so when she came down and I said, Erica, you know, I don't know if this is gonna work, you know, you're this big star, I'm just this filmmaker or the thing. And I said, Don't, you know, I don't know if this is gonna be a good fit. She just looked at me and she said, Whitney, you think that I survived in Hollywood for 30 years <laughs> without knowing how to handle white guys like you? And I was like, okay. That's something I can work with. There was like no bull there. It was just like straight up. And that was sort of the beginning of this journey. Oh, I love it. And uh, that's, that's true. That She
2: has been a blessing. I'm just talking about Erica as a, a person. Because I've been in Hollywood since '92 while doing sitcoms. Ooh. So I've been blessed to watch her career evolve and grow in the diverse roles that she's taken upon herself. Now, the interesting thing about my life is that when you, when you bring up names, that I know like Sheila Jackson Lee. You know, she's out of Houston, very familiar with her work and this H.R. 40 bill in Congress. What is the end game for you guys with this reparations, the big payback? Are, are you guys going to go to Congress one day and sit down and, and talk to Congress and tell them why your podcast is relevant and why? Then they're going to look at you, Mr. White Guy. You know, oh, Why is he? I, I got that movie star over here because she's liberal Hollywood. Why is that white guy sitting with her? So how are you guys? What's the end game, Erica? What's going on?
4: <laughs> Go ahead, Whitney. Answer that one. <laughs> Why
6: are you here? You know, I, look, I I've got I got the hate mail to prove it. People ask me, the, you know, my people ask me the same thing sometimes, and I, you know, I always joke. I say I'm here to save white people.
2: Thank
6: so, you. you know, and I think that that one of the things is that I mean, we're we're working on two tracks. We have actually been embedded in Sheila Jackson Lee's office for a couple, uh, you know, I think almost two years now, tracking yes. HR 40 and uh, and filming that that whole process. But um, look, the end game is to help get H.R. 40 passed, to yes. bring that. I, and the thing that's so, and you know this, you know this well, Roshan, that, that H.R. 40 is just a bill to talk about it. Yes. It's not a bill that's promising anything. It's a bill to establish commission to talk about the possibility of re- and make recommendations. And so that seems to me just like the bare minimum. The bare minimum that we should be doing as Americans, and one of the things that Eric and I often talk about is we both believe that this division, this division that was that was the original sin of slavery, is at the root. It's sort of like, you know, it's at the root of so many of our problems that are dividing us. And when you talk about how we sort of see ourselves the way you're talking about storytelling earlier, I think that one of the big things that we have to get over is white people have to, white Americans have to reimagine their story in this epic of America. And I think that H.R. 40 and having a conversation, we can address those things head on can be a beginning for that.
2: I want to change just a little bit of subject matter because you brought up your special, Erica, that you, I shouldn't say special, a documentary you did with John Lewis, Good mm-hmm. Trouble. Uh, I saw it and um, I was disappointed in myself that I didn't know the man. I didn't mm. know his story. I didn't know, you know, because the last two years we've been able to see it play out, especially when he was announced he had cancer and through through this pandemic. And then, of course, he died. But what was your biggest takeaway from him? Because I didn't know. I, I really didn't know. He was like our modern-day version of uh, Dr. Martin Luther King. He was living and breathing version of Dr. Martin Luther King. And we didn't really, I think, um, appreciate that, especially in Black America— Definitely not white America. And so why do you think he was so, because he was so humble, first of all, but he really didn't, yes. uh, didn't climb out. He never ran for Senate. He never tried to run for an office of vice president, would never recommended that, or never tried to uh, run for presidency. Talk about that special. And cause I just wanted to bring that out of just, I just, my whole thing in, Bringing you guys on was to give you guys a voice to lay down the background that you guys have the right and the expertise and the cachet to talk about reparations on your podcast in this discussion of the big payback. But just give us a little feedback on your role and your experience of just the the final months and
4: years of uh, John Lewis. Uh, John Lewis
2: is about destiny. Um, He is a
4: wonderful example of The true American dream and that whole good trouble thing, which is what, you know, is the name of the film and his moniker and his motto. It's basically just saying if you see something that's not right, not fair, not just do something, say something, get into trouble, good trouble. It's asking us all to go beyond what's comfortable. He, he's not asking us to stand on a bridge and get our brains beat out. He's not asking us to to do those types of things that you know people in the struggle who might be more um, trained in nonviolence and what and and what he did. He's just saying, do more. You know, take it upon yourself to get yourself in and and reposition the argument, the conversation, and, and and take it upon yourself to do it. He committed his life to a fight for civil rights and justice for all. Justice for all. And he did it. We know how he did it without malice, with courage, just of his convictions, his abiding love of the beloved community. He talks a lot about that, the beloved community. Um, Martin Luther King talked a lot about about that, certainly the philosophy of nonviolence, um, peaceful protest. We see Black Lives Matter out there doing their thing in the street. He was Black Lives Matter with um, SNCC. And what he did. And so I think that if you think about the boy from Troy, which was what Martin Luther King called him, he was sort of just stepped into his destiny. And he did it in the most violent and one of the most violent racial storms in America after slavery. Actually, the most. And we think about George Floyd and all the things that are happening now. They were just getting assassinated and killed left and right. You didn't do that lightly. You knew what you were going on mm-hmm. to do. But he was an American icon. And he became an American icon because he stood and he kept going forward and he got arrested. And he didn't just do overnight. He he was there often for several weeks before they could get him out. And he went back. You know, Jesse Jackson actually taught me a little bit about how brave John Lewis was. He said that um, Rosa Parks said that they said John Lewis did the hard time. Like they were impressed with John Lewis. Um, So, again, I think that the world didn't know about him because he stood next to a really bright star, Martin Luther King. And we were always talking about Martin Luther King and all those big stars, Malcolm X, those things. But now the camera's shifting. Boom. And we're starting to see that there were other people. And we're starting to see why he showed up on that bridge and talk about the murder that happened there. Or must these things happen with murders or something horribly tragic happens? And he showed up to support the people in the town. But... That's why. Why? Because it's time has come and John Lewis deserves it. He got into good trouble. He's a freedom writer. He is that boy from Troy. And telling that story was an honor and a privilege. But I didn't know how much I didn't know until I got into it. And thank you, John Porter, for uh, being the director to uh, put her own credibility out there. And she had to build that credibility by um, directing uh, Bobby Kennedy for president, Gideon's army. She didn't just show up. And then they gave her the opportunity to do good trouble. And again, we partnered to bring it forward.
2: The reason I brought that up was that you guys are doing good trouble. And I wanted you to hear yourself talk and realize that <laughs> this reparation is about extending yourself beyond the normal cause. Because both of you guys are taking risks. Because people can, everybody's not acting positively out like there. But, you, but you, what you just said is why I wanted you to hear and also for Whitney to hear that you guys are doing good trouble. And that's a very good thing. And I wanted to bring you on the show and kind of put a little twist on the end and let you know that you've worked in a project that has led you to this blessed course of developing a podcast that Charlemagne the God has given you a platform to talk about. Reparations, the big payback. Thank you for coming on my show. And thank you for allowing me to uh, to speak and uh, to share your story with my viewers and my listeners, Erica Alexander, Movie star, as she said. Movie star. <laughs> Whitney, <laughs> creative Thank you, director. for all
4: the work that you've done. And the work that you've done as executive producer and producing shows. And, you know, you've been in the trenches and, you've, and also teaching us about money and all that other stuff. Thank you, brother. Thank you.
2: I appreciate y'all for coming on Money Making Conversation. Thank you Thanks. so much.
1: Did you know Amazon provides ways of working that fit your lifestyle? They know you value your time outside of work, juggling family, school, friends, or other activities. That's why they offer a variety of shifts that work for you. There are full-time, part-time, and even temporary opportunities that can work with your schedule with great starting pay and sign-on bonuses. If you want a career that fits and adapts to your lifestyle, head to Amazon com apply amazon is a proud equal opportunity employer
5: what grows in the forest trees sure know what else grows in the forest our imagination our sense of wonder and our family bonds grow too because when we disconnect from this and connect with this we reconnect with each other the forest is closer than you think
2: He's an actor, writer, and former NFL player from the Miami Dolphins and Kansas City Chiefs. That's one sport I could never play, football. I'm going to just let you know right now. I can can act like I can play basketball, but I can never play football. Anthony (laughs) co-stars in the third season of the Netflix sitcom called Family Reunion. He left the NFL in 2010 and moved to Los Angeles to pursue his true passion, which is acting. His acting credits include a lot. Recurring roles on Showtime's Shameless, one of my favorite shows, Disney's Raven's Home, CBS NCIS. ABC's Modern Family Fox's The Mick and the supporting role in Netflix feature film Pee-wee's Big Holiday just to name a few just throwing out some credits so you can know who I'm talking to you
1: know I was like alright alright
2: <laughs> <laughs> Family of Unions one of my favorite sitcoms on Netflix and they boast please welcome the Money Making Conversation I know we're gonna be good friends because he's a good friend one of the, one of the writers on the show a co-executive producer on the show who now moved on Anthony Hill please welcome this Anthony Anthony Alabi.
1: how you doing man
2: <laughs> it's great how you doing my friend
1: I'm doing great, man. It's a good day. My uh, mother-in-law is here. She you know, she got fully vaccinated and everything. She came to visit, so it's a full house. <laughs> well, you know, it's,
2: it's the beauty of it. I've gotten fully vaccinated, so it's good to promote yep. that, especially in the African-American community or oh, yeah. the community of color that we need to get vaccinated. And, and you know, it's really, a, I don't know if you've been vaccinated, Anthony, but it really brought a relief to me, you know, because yeah. I'm wearing a mask uh, and I'm doing everything I'm supposed to, and I'm not stopping, even though I've been vaccinated, I still do the things with the mask and the hand sanitizer, but you
1: got to. You
2: got I, to. I, I just feel that now, you know, when I cough or sniffles, it, maybe it's pollen I mean, this time. Maybe, you know you know maybe it's pollen this time and not COVID, you see know what I'm saying? <laughs> <Prior>.
1: <laughs> what did, hey, what did Dion Cole say? People are still getting regular
2: colds. <laughs> right, 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 right. And so, but not, not, but with COVID, you're like, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know.
1: You don't know. You better, not, you better not sneeze a cough and be like, hold on. Absolutely.
2: Hold on. So, uh, so, so, you left the NFL, a sport I could never play that I totally 100% <laughs> respect. Let's talk about, uh, like, say so you're a Texas boy like me. I'm from Houston, Texas. You're San Antonio. We know Texas football is king, brother.
1: Religion. It's religion.
2: So, but here's the thing. Football and acting. Two individual things that don't even don't even live in the same class because one, you know, you are in sitcoms done drama as well, and <laughs> that is kind of like a, a you know kind of a theatrical. It's not nothing physical about it. You know, you're you're still animated in your you're, you're an animated actor too. Right. But but you but you know what I'm saying this is it's not the physical contact. The impact. I'm not waking
1: up hitting three hundred pound men every morning. So
2: <laughs> absolutely, <yeah. laughs> absolutely. And so so but but that but that gave you an opportunity to go to college. It gave you an opportunity to. Where did you go to college at? TCU. TCU. Horn Frogs, down up in that Dallas-Fort Worth area. Okay, so I, I, I know exactly where you at. Okay, so so you go to the NFL, and that's, that's kind of like your dream, or was it your dream still acting when you went to the NFL?
1: It's, it's a crazy thing because people always always talk about the transition and they and they ask, you know, how did you pivot and, and you know, what made you want to go into acting? And, and the truth is acting was it for me the entire time. Football is the thing that kind of swept me up and took over. And I had to put my wanting of acting on hold. So, you know, I, I'd like to tell the joke that when you're 6'6", 360 and you come out of the womb that way, you play football in Texas. Like, that's just what you do. Um and,
2: i'm gonna just and tell you so, this, man you six six I mean, it must be a lot of tall people on that class <laughs> man you don't look six six on that show I'm sorry
1: i thank you I, you know what I appreciate that that is the best compliment I've gotten because that's <laughs> the thing is as an actor coming in when you're tall like that a lot of times you don't get cast because they're just like I can't frame you or we don't know how to, how to do it but luckily i mean like family reunion first of all is first class all the way through so our camera guys our dps they know exactly how to kind of angle it and make it look to where I kind of look normal, and I don't look like Gandalf with the Hobbit. right, right, so.
2: right. You know, but, you know, I'm sorry, I want you to continue, but when you said six six, I had to take a step back. And go, he's six six because I know what <laughs> yeah, six six yeah. looks like. Somebody <laughs> six six stand next to me. I go, you six six, but yeah, on they, that show, everybody, <laughs> <ask> looked, <Anthony. laughs> especially looked, especially looked the little kids, you know, they don't look like they down by your ankles. You know what I'm saying? Right, so, right, right. So, no, Well, so, I
1: mean, they got tall too. You know, uh, Isaiah and Cameron, both of the boys, they got. Really tall, so well. That's uh, a good thing for
2: you. Okay, good thing for you.
1: But continue yeah, your right, journey. Right. <laughs> continue your
2: journey. Your transition. You did not really acting well. Football was just a, a God-gifted talent that you had. But your blessing, it was, it and your was, passion. It was back. some.
1: I was born with the physicality, so it was. It was a nice thing to have. Um, and and yeah, I got into it. I got into football, and it, it kind of took over. So I, at a young age, I kind of made this decision that football was going to be what took care of me. And eventually, I wanted to to get to that point where I could just do whatever I wanted because I didn't have to play football anymore. And I think that's that was the most important thing. So I, I kind of made that decision at like eight years old. And mm-hmm. um, it worked out. Don't ask me to do it twice. I don't know if it can happen, but it worked out this time.
2: But, okay, again, we talked a little bit about your size. You know, you coming in and, you, you know, you don't want to be the bouncer. You don't want to nope. be the the heavy, the thug. And that's what people look at, a black man who's 6'6", athletically mm-hmm. built. So how did you start breaking that that stereotype?
1: So, yeah, naturally, like you said, you, you come here, you you know, off the boat per se, you, you come here and they immediately, you're a bouncer, you're a thug, you're a heavy, you're a detective, if you're lucky, uh, a cop, you know, anything that that's big and, and intimidating. I mean, the amount of times that I had to say, let me see your license is right. <laughs> kind of ridiculous. Uh, but I think the, the most important thing was having a team around me that saw the vision that I did. Because I came here and I said, I'm different. I hit different. I'm a big guy, but I have emotional range. I'm able to be vulnerable. I'm able to, to kind of go places that guys typically of my size don't really go emotionally and right. in, in, in acting. And so I think I, my, my reps saw that. And so we immediately started to kind of brand the other way and kind of like push into those roles that aren't normally for me. So there was a lot of rooms that I sat in where it was like me and like 15 other Jewish dudes. And they're like, you're here for the same role. And I'm like, yeah. Same role. (laughs) And then eventually, you know, we get those roles and then casting directors would start to see us differently. And, you know, it's working out. Um, You know, we're not getting those typical kind of roles that you would see for for a guy that looks like me.
2: Well, you know, it's really interesting because my background, uh, you know, is sitcom writing. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I did uh, Parenthood with WB, actually started with Steve Harvey's first sitcom on ABC, Me and the Boys, and then went over to Arsenio Hall, ABC sitcom, and then I ran into your co-star, one of your co-stars on Family Reunion, the very talented Tia Mowry, you know, with her sister uh, Tamara Mowry on Sister, right. Sister. So how how is it working with that talented young lady, you know?
1: I mean, she's uh, the thing is from day one, uh, Tia and I kind of just got each other because we're Mm -hmm. both goofy. And Mm -hmm. so I think we having the same kind of brand of comedy, uh, we kind of I think we had like one conversation about Mm -hmm. how we want to kind of approach things. And then after that, we've never really had to talk about it. I think we just you know, she throws the ball up. I catch it vice versa. And we're just our chemistry works and, and it works off camera, too. I think, you know, we talk at least two to three times a week. Um, constantly in contact and mm-hmm. we just get each other. And okay. I think that's kind of what makes it easy uh when we're on camera, because if I happen to improvise something that's just that I think is funny, she knows me well enough and she just plays along and it and it usually works out golden. And the same thing with her. She throws things out all the time. And now, it just it makes for a fun working environment. So I look know, forward to going to work every it, day. It's really I have inter- a partner it, it really is interesting. Kind of, that yeah. is right there with you.
2: you know? It really is interesting in watching the show because y'all are silly. Y'all silly. that's a compliment y'all silly and uh and and being in front of a live audience um and because they announced when you watch the netflix sitcom that is uh taped in front of a live audience so those laughter that you hear and i can they're fake they're real which i (laughs) love about the show but man y'all break that fourth wall y'all just laugh man i you know and that loretta divide that fool and i'm saying that's another compliment
1: it's her fault
2: she man, she just keeps delivering home runs, man. And you can she, see, you,
1: I'll you tell can you what. You tell us her about her. It. You tell and us about Meg, it. those two. It's kind of insane because Meg. What Meg does, this is what happens: is we run that we run the uh, we run the, the the scene the way it's supposed to be run, mm-hmm. right? And then here comes Meg, and, and I can see her just <laughs> across the screen, and she runs to Loretta. She whispers something in her ear, and we're all just like, "What's going on?" So then she runs back. They yell, "Action!" And Loretta delivers in a completely different line that still works with our with our dialogue line, but it, it, it a completely different line that we had never heard. So it's the, they want our true reactions. So half the time we're trying to laugh and we're trying or, or we're or trying not to laugh. Right. But it's funny. And right. so Meg loves those moments because they are real and they're more grounded. So I, I, I enjoy them because they make me laugh, but I just, I, I try
2: not to break, but it happens. You break. You, no, just stop <laughs> trying. You break. You break. You break. I break all the time. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I can't.
1: It's to the vibe. I can't I, stop. I,
2: I'm going to tell you something. I'm finally caught up to the third season. You got to catch it. Three seasons of, of this. And you should go back to the very first season if you're listening to this uh, yes. interview for the first time. And the third season, uh, they do a moment with you at the kitchen table when because you, you're yes. really struggling with your manhood, your, 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 your ability to... Uh, Take care of your family. I'm gonna right. tell you, man. When you slid that plate off that table, man, I started laughing so hard, man. When I saw your, well, you, when well, you slid, I, I was just gonna leave it like that. I'm not gonna get into more detail, Anthony. But when you slid <laughs> that plate off the table, uh, I go,
1: man, he's silly. I, uh, he's silly. I went full Denzel on that one.
0: I
2: was like, I'm just going to throw this away. <laughs> I loved it. I, 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 I love it, and so so you know because we're going. I want to. I want to. You know, I also want to talk about you as well as the sitcom, and I just want to touch the sitcom a little bit. But I wanted uh-huh. to go back into your just your your acting resume and also your writer because there's yes. more than you than just uh, in front of the screen. I, I, there's uh, there's the ability to go behind the screen. So tell us who. Anthony a lobby really is with the future. Because you said athletically people stereotyped you, okay? Yeah. Said you were a football player, an athlete. And then you mm-hmm. said, no, that's not me. Now, you went to Hollywood, they stereotyped you. Hey, man, get all the cop roles, get the thug roles, get all the – get all the – anything you yeah. need to fear, throw fear in somebody. <laughs> Anthony <laughs> We want you. And you say, that's not me. Now you, you rise in a very successful sitcom, very high raised trends. If you've not noticed, if you follow Netflix, it does trend. I think it, it recently, trend. I think it was number six recently in the top 10. And that means that, and the way that works on Netflix is, the goal is for everybody to watch every one of your episodes. And yes. that's Netflix. If, if you don't watch every episode, they're going to cancel you. I'm just sorry. That's how Netflix operates. You
1: that's it's the truth. It's the, the, that's yeah. the truth.
2: He knows I'm telling the truth. And But the beauty of it is that you're airing in 190 countries. That allows you to send a different message about... Uh, african Americans people of color how they betray you because you know you've been in the business long enough how oh yeah how this industry before streaming would say hey this is a black sitcom we're gonna keep you over here nobody wants to watch you in Europe oh no nobody's
1: in this little room that nobody knows
2: just, about just box you in that moment and it was just terrible and so let, let's talk about that the, the ability to be expand your brand as a writer and for sure directings on your plate and what you want to do besides what you're doing right now
1: yeah I mean you you, you touched on people always kind of just trying to pigeonhole you. I think the easiest thing that people always want to do is they want to put you in a category or in a box and say, this is what you are. So that way they know what's coming. And I'm kind of annoyingly ambitious in that way where I am constantly trying to push. And I think that comes from sports. It's the, it's this thing of never being comfortable. Um, just cause I believe that every day you either get better, or you get worse. You never stay the same. So if you're not fighting to get better, then clearly you're getting worse. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, you know, producing and writing is something that I want to do. And that's something that eventually I really, really want to get to. I I think it's, it's important to kind of storytell. And I think it's important to create these worlds that I want to see and and worlds that I kind of want to live in and, and be in that probably won't get casted as, or wouldn't be kind of put in, but I can put myself in those situations and write around that. And I think, when I do that and still make it work to where people read and go, this is great, but this is interesting. And it's not just kind of a piece for me, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I think that's the important thing. So that's why my writing partner and I, we've written a, a library of shows and, and uh, you know, are, are pitching and, and doing stuff now. And, and I think now that the third part has come out, that's where, why we're kind of pushing more of the, the shows that we've written, the movies that we've written, and getting really into producing, people want me to get into directing. I'm not. I think that's a lot of work, uh, but we'll see how it goes. But I, I'm definitely going to end up uh, creating and, and um, writing and doing those things later down the road.
2: You know, Anthony, I would tell people stay in your lane. I, I don't want to direct. Yeah. You know, I, I'm you, I've directed some things. I've directed some commercials, but you know, but that's more improvisational directing. You know, I'm not going to get into the whole process of. With the character, the arcs, and some of the, <laughs> oh, the sketches yeah. you got to get. Come over now. I'm not the person to yeah, put in yeah. the room, Anthony. You know what I'm saying mm-hmm. uh, about that whole process. But the whole oh, process yeah. of, uh, like, you've you appeared in some of my favorite uh, series, like uh, Shameless. That that's not an expensive wardrobe, of shameless. By the way,
1: you know you no, just can just, not. You can just show up on just your regular. <laughs> everybody looks like everybody looks terrible. I'm everybody sure. looks like
2: a, a, a step above homeless. Okay, right. right.
1: The makeup <laughs> people were just happy that they didn't have to throw dirt on me, though. <laughs> right,
2: right, right, right. You know, and then uh, and then my, my good friend, uh, uh, Ravens' home that was on Disney, uh, a classic. When you walk into a show like NCIS, where that family has been there for oh, yeah. 50, 60 years, you know what I'm saying? So but
1: that's and shameless. I mean, you look at Shameless yeah. 10 years, 10, right. 11
2: years. And so, so so. talk about going into those uh, those particular type of productions that i mentioned, specifically uh, Shameless as well as NCIS, and then trying to build that same momentum, that same mm-hmm. type of professional behavior, which is led by Meg Deloach, which is the right. executive producer and creator of Family uh, Reunion. Talk about that.
1: Yeah, and, you know, I think it all, I, I like to stem a lot of things back to sports just because it's the first thing that I related to. Uh, growing up so it's the same thing when you are uh, you know I was an offensive lineman so when you're like the sixth man right and you have the starting five and you have that sixth guy and somebody goes down or somebody gets hurt or you know they're playing bad or whatever and they pull that guy and you go in the goal is to maintain the standard It's to not be the weak link it's to You don't necessarily have to outshine anyone, but you got to make sure you keep the boat going and and don't let it sink. And I think that's the same kind of concept when you're going into a show that has been on for a decade, a decade and a half, um, like an NCIS, like a Shameless. These people, this is a well-oiled machine. Everybody knows what they're doing every day, every minute of the day. And so when you come in, it's not to disrupt that, but it's to to kind of almost like a double-dutch thing where you're waiting for your turn, you're Mm -hmm. waiting for your turn, you pop in. You do your thing and you pop out. And I think that's the that was the kind of the message that I told myself going into all of these things. And, and it worked out that it ended up being a really good role and, and mm-hmm. shining in those in those uh, in those series. But at the same time, it's maintaining the standard that they've already set over those years.
2: OK, with that being said, now you're in the third season of. Family Reunion, which airs on Netflix. So you saw how you went in the first time. Like she said, when you saw, when you walked in Netflix, the series Family Reunion, you said, this is golden. But each yeah. year, you know, there's a comfort zone because this is the reality of Hollywood, ladies and gentlemen. You know, you get a gig, and that can get that doesn't mean it's gonna last. So you don't just suddenly get an acting gig and just go buy a new car or a new house. You have right. A, there's a certain uns- level of uncertainty. So that first yeah. season, you didn't know if it was gonna get picked up. You were just happy to get a check. I know that. I right. know. Okay. Now the second season. Now, you know, season. where are you at mentally with the series and how is the overall staff and production? What changes have come about over the last three years?
1: Well, naturally, you're going to have, you know, uh, changes in staff, changes, changes in crew. But I think the message overall is the same. And it's to tell authentic Black stories mm-hmm. and it's to tell stories of real families and to give everybody a voice and a point of view. And I think that's what you see in Family Reunion that you don't see in a lot of kind of other other shows that are written kind of by white people about mm-hmm. Black people filtered through their view of it. Mm-hmm. I think when you have an all-Black writer's room, there are Black people writing for Black people about us. Mm-hmm. And I think when you have that, you get those little corners of the culture that aren't normally there with other kinds of sitcoms. So the goal every single year is to, to not shy away from any topics that come up, to not shy away from themes uh, that other people wouldn't explore, like death or interpersonal relationships between a husband and wife or, you know, dads dealing with their daughters, but in a real way, not in a sitcom way, like Jade ran away. You know what I mean? Mose has, you know, problems dealing with his friend dying or Mose and Coco having financial issues and having to really parent their kids instead of throwing money at any kind of problem, which is what they used to do. And I think when you do that and you don't shy away from those things and you try and tell it as authentically as possible and you bring in directors that hold you to a certain standard, that keeps a show going. That's what maintains the 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 overall kind of greatness of a show, which is which is why you have shows like NCIS and Shameless that continue to go and continue to to, to grow because of the fact that they maintain that standard of their show. And you're right, in Hollywood, you can get complacent. It's easy after season you know three or four to just be like, it's automatic now. We're going to get renewed. This is how it goes, and that's not how it goes. And that's when you get blindsided with a cancellation sticker and you're worried about your rent.
2: So. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. And I'm going just tell you how significant that the, what he's talking about when he said uh, all black writing staff for a sitcom. Just give you a little history about my life. My first writing sitcom was uh, Me and the Boys on ABC. The showrunner was white. It was only two black writers. It was three black writers in that room. Okay? And then my second show, it was... Uh, Parenthood, Robert Townsend show. He was an executive producer, but the two but the showrunners, they were white. Good people. All these white people. I'm not saying nothing negative. I'm just saying, but still not delivering a black point of view for a show. 'Cause they have to right. ask questions and sometimes they would take story arcs that was comfortable to them because they understood it, but were not comfortable to the style, and you start debating why are we doing this? And then right. and then we went over I went over to Arsenio. He was struggling with his showrunner, who was white. And that show eventually got canceled after one season. And then I went over to um went over to Sister Sister. That showrunner was white. But then, that's when I met the incredible Felicia Henderson and really and she had a lot of influence on those storylines because she had a lot of influence on the showrunner. And then finally, yeah. I wrapped up my sitcom career with uh, the amazing uh, Sarah Finney, Sarah Finney Johnson on The Parkers. And she was a black showrunner who also created Moesha. And so each each layer tells a different story because there was different battles that you fight in a room. And if you have a mixed room that really doesn't understand the culture of what they're supposed to be writing about, it creates a sense of, why are we doing this and debating? Where I like to believe that a room doing a black sitcom and The Writers Are Black delivers a lot, a real honest script for you guys and also allows you to question stuff without any kickback.
1: Exactly. And I think that's when I talk to Anthony about this. Um, I think in that writer's room, the reason why we get such gold that comes out of that room is because there's no egos involved. Mm-hmm. Anyone can pitch any joke at any time. And if it's funny, it's funny. If it's not, then it's not. And if it's not funny and Anthony you know, or Meg pitched it, it's just not funny. But if it's funny and a staff writer or a PA pitched it, it's funny. And put it in. And I think when you do that and you take the ego out of it and you just want the best product possible at the end of the day, you're going to end up with a show that is a banger. That every episode just makes you laugh, makes you cry, makes you jump, makes you dance. And and when you have that, it's something special. And I think that's what we have.
2: You do have something special. I, I, I'm telling you something, Anthony. I haven't thought about writing on a sitcom, wow, 20 years. 20 years at least. Uh, seriously. <laughs> and um, and I miss it after watching this show, this series, Family Reunion. I miss it. And it was like, wow.
1: that's a good, that's a big I, I,
2: I'm very serious. I, I, I'm like, wow, man, you know, because I I, I I watch a lot of television. I watch a lot of sitcoms and, and, you know, like I said, I was in that little banner run where, you know, all our sitcoms were buried on WB and CW mm-hmm. and UPN and all those things and they were just using our shows to launch networks and things like that and and just to see this okay. show, man, and 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 if nobody has not seen the show. Please make it a part of your watch because of the fact that it, it just brought back fun memories about what, the show is about, and the show is about you know you your African American man was a successful football player and then had to from Seattle had to move your family back down to the South, the great city of Atlanta and the great state of Georgia and you and you living with your mom and your dad played by my man the Shaft the original Shaft it's gonna be real Richard so cool. <laughs> so Rowtree cool. and I'm I'm gonna ask you about that in a minute and then 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 you know of course we already talked about her you know Loretta Devine the amazing right. Loretta Devine and you know Tia and and it, it's it's, it's, you know, the, the thing about it is that when you're working around, Anthony, when you're working around such legendary actors and actresses like a Loretta and a like Richard, how does that help you?
1: Well, I think you you study how they work. You study, you know, just the work ethic and, and even just what they bring to rehearsals, what they bring to run-throughs, and then what they bring to shoot days. Uh, you know, Loretta really did the best thing she could for me, which is I think our first ever network run through. Mm-hmm. And I've done tons of run throughs. It's not the issue, but I've never done a, a run through as a lead. And so I was a little nervous, you know, more than the normal uh, this time. And, and I had this big sequence. I can't even remember the episode or what it was, but I, I know I had a big kind of like comedic sequence that I was hoping would be funny. Cause I was going to improv some stuff, <laughs> but who knew? And I did it and the network cracked up and they were laughing to the point where we had to stop run through for a second. Cause they were cracking up and then, kind of resumed but i remember i went to the back of the kitchen uh afterward to exit and loretta was sitting there because that's where she was going to enter from and she looked up at me and she was just like this you you just make it look so easy and she was like you did i love it i love it and it it made me feel very confident that someone of that stature recognized me and was like good job and from then on it's just been it's been a fun dance and, and play every day with with her and with richard
2: well, you know they. Uh, you know, you know. I love the series, right? The really? only, the only thing that I was skeptical of this whole series was you yeah. trying to fix a Mercedes Benz truck.
1: I said That's- the exact same thing.
2: <laughs> that is like that is the most impossible thing. It is. <laughs> Pull me an old like, F-150. Like, Pull me a Chevy or something. But for you to be under the hood of a Mercedes truck holding some piece that I don't think belong inside that it, engine area.
1: Which, it's like was, trying to fix an iPhone with a tool belt. <laughs> it's, 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 it's ridiculous. It really is. But, uh, you know, and at first it was supposed to be, I think it was supposed to be something else. But, uh-huh. you know, Meg being Meg, she's like, no, let's get the Mercedes truck in here. I was like, I I'm oh, down. Boy, I'm that, gonna see, that's, no. that's a writer's moment. You
2: know what I'm saying? That's a writer's moment, right? Right there, but it didn't hurt. Right. The, it didn't hurt to show it all. I'm just this is me and you talking, having fun in this interview yeah. about uh, you up there trying to fix the Mercedes Benz and talk about the. <laughs> the, 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 the I'm not going to get into the, the episode. is very. You should watch it. Uh, watch all episodes. Like I said, I'm talking about the third season right now, but you need to go back to season one to really see the arc of the series. Watch these kids. <laughs> these amazingly talented kids uh, grow as, as young actors, young people. I'll talk about the, 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 the kids who play your children on the show.
1: You know, they're amazing. I, I think um, I was the last one kind of cast on this show because they were kind of looking for that role. They were looking for that actor for the longest. And um, when I came on, uh, the kids had already kind of been there a week. They went through like an acting camp. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it showed. And Eric Dean Seaton, I mean, he's just, he's such a professional um, and it was such a gift for them because I think when as soon as we started kind of getting into filming, those kids were professional. They knew everything uh, about what they needed to do. They knew where their cameras were. They knew about lighting. They knew where to stand. They knew how to pause for laughs. They knew all the technical kind of stuff that comes along with the sitcom. Cause, I mean, you know, the sitcoms are a little more uh, technical. There's a lot more to them. As an actor, it's a little heavier on you because you have to worry about blocking someone's light and, you know, where you're blocking and where you're standing and, you know, making sure you're on, turn to the right camera and, right. The <laughs> and different things. And those kids just picked it up and they just got it. And and they've gotten it ever since. And, they, and they're funny. And they're just, they improv their little stuff. They're so talented. They all sing and dance and and, uh, and except for you, I, I noticed you're not so. singing
2: there, uh, sir. Uh, that's one talent you don't possess: is the singing skills.
1: No, but here's the thing: I'll, I'll give myself a little credit. Is I can hold a tune. I'm not going to make an album, but you know, <laughs> man, I can. I'll be your. I'll be your background. Just <laughs>
2: <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, you know the the beauty of it is that um, you have a you have a wonderful career that you resume. You're working on a, a show that's successful, and I like to believe it, they will bring you back for another season. We never know how the gods play out there, but it's definitely uh, uh, has great value. Uh, like I said, when I'm watching the third season, I'm going, I'm trying to. I'm, and here's the thing, Anthony, I'm trying to fit this writing in my schedule. I'm going, I
1: can't, yeah. I can't. <laughs> how can I get back <laughs> You know, yeah, I you know,
2: <laughs> can, can. I write. Well, I could do a spec script. Maybe I can send Meg right. a spec script, and then she go, Rashawn McDonald. To write again? No way.
1: But, but, uh, just, just, I'll just, tell uh, you what, you come on to our show, man, you're going to have a good time. That's the thing uh, we
2: do. I, I, know, I, I know I I know I am. And uh, it tapes in Atlanta, correct?
1: No, 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 no. We're, we're right here. Paramount Studios. Paramount Studios.
2: Okay, cool. Just yes. a setting. And, and we're,
1: the family is based. Uh, Medeer's house is in Columbus, Georgia. But we go we go to Atlanta a bunch, but it's in Columbus, Georgia. It's a small town in Georgia.
2: I, you know I know where Columbus is, right? Just, just go east like you're going to Birmingham. That's right. West go. like you're going to Birmingham. <laughs> then, go. I know exactly where Columbus, Georgia is at. But I, 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 I would not close this interview. I'm from Houston, Texas. You're mm-hmm. from San Antonio, Texas. Yes. I love... Tex Mex. You know, I will eat that for breakfast. I would eat it for lunch. I you I, I I just can't get enough of it. I just had to close and find out where was your heart when it comes to Tex Mex? Where's your heart?
1: I, I it was it was so obsessed with Tex Mex that I had to leave Texas to <laughs> save my heart because if not it would be clogged and I'd be <laughs> I'd be on I'd be on medication right now. I just I eat I eat I eat flour, cheese, Thank beans. You. Right, all day, all
2: day long. Well, my brother, you look fantastic, and I'm glad you lost that uh, offensive line work weight. No. Nope. be the swell <laughs> wide receiver that you want to play in this sitcom today. You, you look fantastic, Anthony, and I'm Thanks. glad I got to Thanks. interview Thanks. you on my show, man. And uh, just also just to spread the greatness of this sitcom, man, that you guys are doing a great job sending a great message and brought back so many great memories, man, about what I did. And I, I always feel blessed about it because a lot of people see a lot of my sitcoms now that I wrote on and produced on netflix now you know mm-hmm. and it gets to people oh you wrote this yeah that was me that was me that was me so <laughs> so i'm kind of like getting some netflix love anthony but again brother thank you for
1: coming on money making conversations no. thank you for having me man i really appreciate it this was a lot of fun
5: look through your children's eyes to see the true magic of a forest it's a storybook world for them you look and see a tree they see the wrinkled face of a wizard with arms outstretched to the sky they see treasure and pebbles
2: Hi, I am Rashawn McDonald, host of Money Conversation.com. The Cafe Mocha Swag Award is a celebration of black men making a difference in our community by empowering others to reach their life goals. They can be civic leaders, people in business, activists, celebrities, and everyday dads. The Cafe Mocha Swag Award honoree this week is Randy Williams. Your dreams can be different. Randy is the president of Tally & Twine, a company that designs and manufactures luxury watches and accessories. The company's name comes from an intersection, formerly the Center of a notorious crime-ridden neighborhood in Virginia. In recent years, the neighborhood has been completely revitalized, and those same families now have the opportunity to own. When you go from being a young man to an older man, you understand who you are more, and you understand why you're doing what you're doing. You're not just doing something to make money, and I want it Italian swine to be a brand
1: like that that had these principles and these values that were built into the brand. The
2: Cafe Mocha Swag Award represents men who have strength, whose wisdom is assertive, and who is genuine in their spirit.
0: We will be right back with more money making conversations with your host, Rashawn McDonald. Welcome back to Money Making Conversations with your host, Rashawn McDonald.
2: Our next guest, she's an industry decision maker. She's a celebrity. She's an entrepreneur. She's Shereen Woods. She's the president and CEO of the fashion and lifestyle businesses. She operates with her husband, creative director Guy Woods Sr. They create transferable wealth and legacy through their serial entrepreneurship. You're about to understand what I'm about to say. Shereen has been featured in various media outlets, Cafemom.com, CBSPulse.com, New York Daily News, Essence.com, Good Morning America, MSNBC.com, The New York Times, and numerous other press outlets. She is the administrative leader and visionary for a family's growing fashion and lifestyle empire. Please welcome to Money Making Conversations, Shereen Wood.
7: Hello, hello. Thank you. What a great introduction. It's so lovely to see you, Rashawn. I'm so happy.
2: Well, thank you. You know, we're coming out of COVID-19. You know I'm happy to see all my friends that be able to come out of this. When you see a number like over a half million people uh, dying from this this pandemic, you really feel blessed when you talk to people you call your friends.
7: I'm happy to be seen and happy to see you. Yes, you are so right. This year has been... uh, a lot. <laughs> a lot of personal reflection, a lot of business growth, a lot of strategy, a lot of sitting still, mm-hmm. a lot of thinking about how to vibrate on higher levels. So this has been a transformative year for everyone in every sense of the sense of the word.
2: And, you know, your business is fashion is, is closed, is tied to a lot of live events. And then you live in a state that basically shut down. They, they closed the uh, Broadway. They closed movie theaters in New York City area, which was of course, affected Harlem as well. Talk about, you know, before we get into why we really have you on know, the show, talk about this beverage that I have in front of me and this fantastic water. I only have one bottle left that I have on display on my desk right now. But the amazing part about making these transitions, but also understanding that your dream is being shut down by something that you can't control, which was COVID-19 in 2020. Wow.
7: So I think for a lot of business owners, the, the routine of business, just immediately stopping was a shock. One, you, you are always prepared for, you should have enough uh, resources for yourself personally for a year, but no one had ever thought for your business. This was almost um, an expense that you just didn't think that you would have to maintain a business for almost a year without the regular profit that you have. Mm-hmm. Um, mid- Mid 2020, I would never have thought that both of my businesses, and then I expanded during a pandemic, but both of my main businesses will be shut down for four months. Before, you know, a lot of people, we talk about a pivot. Before there was a pivot, there was a panic. What's going on? Um, I'm concerned about the safety of my family, my um, community. Uh, I had started 2020 off dealing with my mom's recent stroke. Mm -hmm. Um, So um, I had already had a medical experience that had taken hold of my life. And I was ultimately half a caregiver for my mom, who's hopefully um, getting better and recovered from that. I was not prepared. Um, I literally had to sit down and re-strategize so many different things. And I am so lucky that I was able to and had the forethought Um, knowing that I was already changing my business, but COVID made me change it in ways that I didn't know that I had to. Uh, Limited ability to have in-person live events. That was the main source of Harlem Haberdash. We are a very social family. We love social gatherings. Our liquor is built around creating these big, um, fabulous events where you can enjoy our cocktails. So we ultimately had to redefine COVID. We had to build a robust e-commerce platform. We had to build strategies that didn't involve going to meet and do everything virtual. And my customers for, you know, my celebrity customers ultimately had to sit down and some are still sitting down for more than a year because no live events. So we really had to reposition our personal lives, our professional lives, our strategies, into something that is not going to be a back to normal. It's going to be a new routine, and I think businesses that thrive are are have to re strategize and reposition themselves in every sense of the word.
2: And it's really amazing because when we're talking about well, you, you you're used to big transitions, and unfortunately, one that you can't you can control those transitions when you were from five thousand one flavors to the incredible store that you have in Harlem called Harlem Haberdashery. Now, let's talk about that transition, and then we'll talk about how you always are, I like to believe, ahead of the curve. That's what the visionary part of our love about you. You, you, you sit around, you're not satisfied about your current success. You're always looking at lanes of future success, and then we're going to get into the spirits and the water. But let's talk about that transition from 5001 Flavors, which is amazing, successful in the hip-hop community, to Harlem Haberdashery.
7: Well, one thing I like to tell any entrepreneur is that where I'm at is not where I started. And this, it seems like a a seamless plan of great strategy. And ultimately, being an entrepreneur is being ready and available for whatever opportunity comes. Um, 1992, I started 5001 Flavors with my business partner, then boyfriend, now husband, (laughs) happily married to Mr. Guy Wood, Mm -hmm. uh, creative director of 5001 Flavors. It is a creative um, custom clothing company with design and manufacture clothes for artists and entertainers to wear on album covers, tours, uh, red carpets, live events. And we've ultimately been doing that for 29 years. Next year in 2022, we are celebrating our 30th year in business. Started as a junior in Columbia University and just started working with any and every uh, mainstream gospel hip-hop r&b country rock artists that you can imagine so you can think dj khaled uh daddy yankee lady gaga uh p diddy uh, mary j blige any and everybody that you know and love in music we've worked with um athletes who work with colin kaepernick lebron james so we have a long history that's still um you know very vibrant we decided about twenty years ago in twenty twenty um, in twenty twelve to start Harlem Haberdashery to address um, the, the increase in customers who were not celebrities but had their own red carpet moments. So we yeah. have a lot of uh, customers who love to look great, who love statement pieces. So Harlem Haberdashery was our attempt to create a retail experience for people to get that same celebrity treatment. But we knew that Harlem we actually always had to be lifestyle. And lifestyle is such a, a grand category because lifestyle is anything that you love, touch and feel and wear on a, on a daily basis during your lifestyle. So for us, it was an instant um, recognition that we can go from clothing and to home beauty accessories. Right. Um, you know, So anything on your lovely set will be considered lifestyle. You have clothes, you have furniture, you have electronics. And so ultimately, as long as the category that we were in, um, and categories of different products, as long as it had the same brand aesthetic that delivered quality and bespoke and customization that Harlem haberdashery had, it was a no-brainer for me. So when people say, what's the what's the transition to me is kind of seamless as we work with our clients and they have on these fabulous outfits that we have on. We're participating in very celebratory events. Now, instead of wearing just our clothes, they're wearing our clothes and holding our, our spirit products in the same celebratory event. So it was very um, seamless for me. And when people think about it, they go, Oh, same party, different product, <laughs> same brand. So I totally thought, um, that and knew that lifestyle was where we wanted to go, um, so ultimately transforming from five thousand one to Harlem Haberdashery, right. the Spirits HH bespoke Spirits was an, another brand expansion that was a no brainer for me.
2: Cool. Now, before we get over to that, because you know, one, you know, I love talking to successful people because they make it seem seamless. Okay, and we know, and you, you know, you're so articulate, and because you're talking almost 30 years when you talk when you yeah. talk about next year and I will definitely be at the shop in 30 years 20 I'll be knocking on the door because we should be all I'm already vaccinated so I'm ready to travel now I'm ready so, too man I'm so, ready
7: for it to open <laughs> yeah, absolutely
2: and so you'll more likely be seeing me this year in fact up in the New York area because I'm doing a lot of things with Stephen A. Smith in that market but more I importantly when I look at what you're doing and I always like this whenever I interview you I always like to slow you down because you're so smooth in your transitions and what I try to do Deliver on the show is some type of information, and uh, you drop nuggets. Because when you made that transition, was there any degree of uh, hesitancy or people question you about making that transition? Because you said, like you said, same customers, you know, same customers, you the same people. But there's always people who say, why?
7: So, you know, the the problem probably is understanding that in my mind it's seamless, <laughs> but it's two different industries. So it's not as seamless as it seems, because for me, it's just about introducing my brand to a different industry. The one thing that I know now that I didn't know then, because a lot of times you're like, um, I'm fabulous. I, you know, I can do I can do all things is that there's a different set of people that you have to manage. There's a different set of skills. There's a different set of contacts that you have to have. So long as you know that you have a commitment to your brand and a product and that that is a process that you have to wade through, it's not a problem. The problem is knowing that one I'm trying to reach a new set of customers in a new category, but I'm telling the same story. I still have a commitment to my brand, and I know that anything that I want associated with my brand, I want it to be quality. I want to be consistent with the product. I want to have a certain brand position. I want to have a certain price. So I was always committed to the brand, but now um, when I go from a consulting uh, um, image wardrobe consulting at, at 5001 to a retail, to a spirit. Those are all different industries. And so what slowed me down and the bumps in the roads are learning that industry and learning the, you know, who's who and learning the players and who is your strategic partners. Those are always hard to identify in any business, in any industry, But as long as you're committed to delivering a certain product or service, it's just about navigating and finding out. The one thing I like about being in business is that if you are truly with like-minded individuals, you really almost have to know who's in your network and who you can access. And so when we talk about Spending time with like-minded people, we're talking about people that can help scale our business, that can help you grow, that can point you to the right person. And so that's why it's important to surround yourself with like-minded people that are vibrating on the same level that you are. Wow.
2: That's a nugget right there, girl. i am pulling that out with this interview (laughs) and sharing it out there because people don't understand. You know, I remember when I stopped managing Steve Harvey in 2016, you know, I, I was struggling to find my Footing because I didn't have like-minded people around me. I didn't have I had people who who respected me. I have people who looked at my resume and went, wow, but I didn't have that support system. And that's all you're talking about. You got to have people that, when you say, hey, I want this idea, they're not only trying to shoot it down. They're trying to show you how you can be successful or show you a different route so you can be successful. But it's all about being like-minded. You know, in other words, you don't surround yourself with haters. That would lead to frustration and also leads yeah. to leads to you going, Doubting yourself. And when you're in the, being an entrepreneur, it's not like an eight to five. You know, eight to five, basically, you go to the job. They're going to tell you what you do. You go home. Get your lunch break. You might complain all day. You're still going to get paid. When you're an entrepreneur, you can't complain all day about what you say is your dream. That yeah. really is a problem. Correct, Shereen?
7: <laughs> you have to be so uh, forward thinking, problem solving, and you really do have to tell the universe What you need, and when I mean tell the universe, that means that if you have a contact that has um, a certain network, you have to be very honest. You know, this is what I need, and you'd be surprised what that openness and transparency will 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 get you. A lot of times, we sit there with these ideas and we don't tell anyone. Oh, I need an accountant. I need a. I need help. I need a resource. Like-minded people are going to point you in the right direction. Um, I had a great. Experience when I'm part of a great organization called Support Your Girlfriends. I went to a wonderful retreat uh, with some young ladies um, that I that I became friends with. But we had this great experience with Lucinda Cross, and Lucinda said something at a dinner, and it and it blew my mind. She was like, "Everything you need is in the room," and that means that if you're in a great group of people surrounded by like-minded that you guys are speaking each other's brand and names and rooms that you're not in so when we come together I support your girlfriends and then we go out in the world it's about 30 of us and someone knows that i'm looking for a liquor distributor or someone knows that i'm looking for a retail and they connect me That is what you need need when you need like-minded people in your circle, people that are looking for connections, people that are looking for opportunities for you when you're not in a room. And so I've really been blessed in this last year to build some great strategic partnerships from work that I've done before or networks that I've built where people know that I need a certain task or connection.
2: Yeah, You know, it's really interesting, Uh, I tell people that, you know, I wish COVID on no one, it was a it was thrust upon us, but I didn't stop thinking. You know, I, I you know I still paid my staff. I was in a position to do that. I applied for that little PPP loan and really it angered me so much, Serene, I, 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 I why, why? I, I, I wish I just stayed on the sidelines saying I couldn't get it because what they yes. gave me was like, oh, really? Where are these people out here out there ripping off people and buying cars and homes and taking vacation? Why am I not getting that check? What did they sell on their paperwork I'm with? You, Sean. I don't know what happened. <laughs> you know. So when I, but the, the beauty of when I was introducing you that I, I wanted to point out to people it was just the range of media that you cross. You know, you're not a black talent. You know, you're not a person that that fashion is only uh, for urban. You, Your fashion is universal. That's why I want to point out the New York Times. I want to point out MSNBC. Yes, you've been on Ebony.com. Yes, you've been on Essence.com. But you've also been in New York Daily News. You've also been in Huffington Post. When you get that range of media coming to you, how does that allow you to... um, promote your business, first of all, and also develop your point of view for, for, the, for the brand that you're putting out there, which is fashion. And now we're going to go into water and now we're going to go into spirits.
7: So I have been blessed with a celebrity adjacent brand. Um So the second that you can mention Beyonce, Jay-Z, <laughs> Mariah Carey, they want to talk to you. So I, I am not um, not knowing that that is such a, a blessing for me. So unfortunately, I do have kind of a leg up in terms of press. Uh, but I also know it is a great opportunity for me, one, to tell my story, for me to build a future um, plan for me to seek strategic partners. So everything that I want, I, I'll put in the, will put in the universe. I'm looking for a strategic partner. I'm looking for national distribution. I'm looking to expand this. And so when you speak it, it happens. Uh, people read. Uh, a lot of times, people don't realize that social media. When you press in, there are end users who look at that and know. So you're 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 engaging in a conversation with the unknown when you do press. So I'm always thankful for the great press. I'm always looking for the. next thing to talk about because no one wants to only talk about what you're doing now what you're doing in the future um i love planning uh expansion i love creating my own economy so for me entrepreneur is not just about talking about what you're doing but what you're going to do so uh the platform has allowed us to really think about brand expansion uh we love to circle back to some of our you know favorite uh, favorite press outlets and talk about what we're doing in the future it becomes something that grows, evolves. And I think COVID made a lot of people, including me, literally sit still and think about everything, your whole life, your strategy. What are you doing? How are you moving? Um, I felt like I was doing a lot of moving, but I I wasn't progressing in some areas. So it allowed me to re-strategize. And as much as it was a lot of strategy, unfortunately I had a lot of, uh, you know, death in my network and my family. Unfortunately, I, lo- I lost my beloved grandmother, my oldest mm-hmm. member of my, my family, and my beloved niece, the youngest member of my family, um, fortunately succumbed to a brain um, tumor, um, cancer. And so in between all of that tragedy, there was a lot of great success for a lot of businesses. And you, you wouldn't believe it. I, I couldn't believe that my business grew while I was in a house, <laughs> sitting right in front of my family wall. But it really just allowed me to strategize about what I wanted to do. When we talk about building a transferable business of legacy and wealth, that's really what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to make it better uh, for my daughter, who's 12, Sydney. I'm already made it better for my brother, who, when I started, was 12. And so I see that becoming an entrepreneur and creating a platform that my family can benefit from, it's easy. It's easier to to build wealth. It's easier to grow your business. It's easier to do things when you have a connection. I had no connection to business. I had no network. I had no understanding. I didn't understand how how they operate, how they were structured, and so generational wealth is not just about money. It's about information, knowledge, access and resources and creating those networks so that your kids can stand on something so that they're not starting from scratch. That's the goal for me as an entrepreneur. And I see it now after 30 years that it really it is working and it is something that the next generation and the future generations of my family will benefit from.
2: Change your water, change your life. I'm holding this, uh, your water, marvelous. Uh, why? Why water? We're going to get to the beast boat. We're going to get to the spirits in a minute, but why? Because it's a very competitive field out there. And then people, yeah. some people look at water as water. You know, what's, what's the difference drinking water out of water hose? Or water out of the store or you go to office depot they got their water you go to you go to you get the water going with your five gallon and get water out of there for 40 cents a gallon all you have so many options you have coca-cola got their water so many options have water you come out and package a fantastic water i've tasted had to fight off the rest of my staff i got one bottle left i want to make sure it lasts for this interview and after this interview i I will be drinking. In fact, I'm going I'm to bust this over right now, Shereen. Okay, cool. Well, I'm going
7: gonna, I'm gonna to send you guys more. So we briefly got into our brand expansion. And yes, we did start HH Bespoke Spirits. And uh, now we are HH Bespoke Spirit and Beverages. So I'm excited about that. Um so I'm excited about that. So we have a rum, a gin, mm-hmm. and a. Well, let talk about let's
2: talk about the water first because it's, it's fantastic. It's, you know, it's, it's, of course, odorless. it's uh, it, it, it just went down very good. It's something I would drink on a regular basis. But why did you decide to go? Because it? it says super anti and uh, it says alkaline water. is... uh. Uh, pH is 9.5 plus change your water change your life what exactly that slogan right there means in regards to this particular water that you call marvelous
7: so what actually happened is that we partnered uh with a family member who had marvelous waters it's an alkaline water product we partnered with him uh he was already in the marketplace but needed uh, needed to scale up, needed to expand direct to consumer needed to expand as national retailers. So Kenneth Marvin Barnes is a family member. So he already had marvelous water. So Mm -hmm. we brought him into our portfolio as HH bespoke uh, spirits and beverages. Mm -hmm. We expanded some of his sales channels, but it's alkaline water. And so for us, it was about having spirits and water. And it, it wasn't about creating it because it already created. It was about working with a family member of ours who was already in the industry and helping to expand it. So it's been a wonderful um, addition to our portfolio. We're excited to bring it to market. We're expanded to, to, nation, um, to national distribution and nationwide retailers. So we're looking for retailers to expand. Uh, but, yeah, I will absolutely send you and your staff more. So please, <laughs> don't worry. It won't be the last yeah. that the Rashawn McDonald staff get. I'm gonna put it well, in. Them, I'm gonna tell
2: you just what we gonna do. I'm gonna tell you this. You know, because my show right now is uh, is is uh, it's on YouTube and it's also on podcast. Will come May 6th, It will be broadcast. Uh, the Atlanta market, two million homes. And in the fall, it will be syndicated. So, I'm doing my shows and I tape starting in May 6th. I'm a, I always complain about being warm in my studio. So, I'm going to keep, if you don't mind, if I got a sign of release, I'm going to keep a bottle of uh, marvelous water okay. on my desk, just like I have it right here. And I will sip it in between interviews, but I need me a little swig. So, starting May, May 6th. May 6th. Okay. I said the day right. It's May 6th that I will be doing this starting next month. So you are the Love official it. water of the morning making conversation hosted by Rashawn McDonald. How about
7: that? <laughs> I love it. Thank you, Rashawn. I love you. And I'm going to send you a bunch you and your staff a bunch at a time. So I love it. Yeah, but it pretty- is refreshing. It mm-hmm. is about, you know, mm-hmm. optimization for your health. It's mm-hmm. about flushing your body. It's about living your best life. And I'm all for that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I love the product, which is why I brought it into our portfolio. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love, like I said, to create generational wealth. So bringing mm-hmm. another member into our family, uh, we learn the industry together. Spirits is very different from water. Uh, but who doesn't drink water? Everybody. So it's a more diverse customer base that we can reach. Um, everybody's into living their best life. So change your water, change your life is really about changing from other water products to an alkaline water product that's beneficial, that, uh, that, you know, flushes your body of toxins that help you live your best life. And our black and brown communities, we need every advantage we can in the health field to get rid of some of the healthcare disparities that we suffer from. And so it was a, a, a product that was a no-brainer to us.
2: Well, it tastes fantastic. And it's, again, the
7: official
2: water of Money Making Conversation is marvelous. I love it. Okay, love May 6th on, uh, my show starts broadcasting on the AIB Network. Uh, it's, it's fantastic. Like two million homes in the North Georgia and in Atlanta area, and there's 400,000 subscribers on their YouTube channel, so and 90% of their audience on their YouTube channel is international, so.
7: Oh, I love it, so we ship um, direct-to-consumer marvelouswaters.com uh, we offer it in a 6-pack 12-pack and a 24-pack mm-hmm. and so we are excited that we have a, a, you know, a bunch of new customers throughout the country, previously mm-hmm. he was not distributed direct-to-consumer, so that's been a wonderful sales channel for us we're super excited. So it's easier to ship water than spirits. So right. it's
2: a great addition to our portfolio. Well, during COVID, uh, uh, spirits sales uh, soared. They said people was consuming alcohol at a very uh, high rate. So I think uh, you launching a vodka line uh, coming out of COVID, I think is perfect because people want to celebrate. People want a good drink. Uh, I live. I, I remember many years ago. I had a very popular comedy club, so I, I am very aware of alcohol consumption and the power of vodka is uh, is great. So, why did you choose vodka? And tell us what is the future of what you're going to do with this?
7: So, in 2018, uh, Harlem Haberdashery we, we expanded into HH Bespoke Spirits. We have a rum, a gin, and a vodka. We've had uh, that wonderfully curated collection since 2018. Covid, people were home, uh, quarantining, you know, sheltering in place, and so sales of a lot of different industries went were fantastic. So essentially, you went from brick and mortar to click and order. So anything that you can access from home, it was a go. And spirits, and especially Black spirits, really took off. You know, after the Juneteenth uh, celebrations and recognition that we need to support each other. A lot of black companies had a, a great prosperity and growth, and I'm thankful for that. I just wish that we would understand that black businesses and small businesses need support and need sales outside of a protest. We need to be part of your everyday buying pattern. And so that sort of uh, highlighting black business and black business ownership. That's what really made our business really boom. Uh, the spirits took off. We had a wonderful e-commerce partner that came aboard. So now we could ship direct to consumers through our hhbespokespirit.com website. So we opened up 38 more states during the pandemic. So there was growth even when there was stay-at-home wow. you know, orders being placed. We actually grew because we had access to more demographic around the country. So we were excited to partner up with Reserve Bar, um, available at hhbespokespirit.com. SpokeSpirits.com. You can get our product straight delivered to your home. Wow!
2: So again, the visionary. I've always enjoyed speaking to you. You've already locked out another deal here, just in the interview. That's how good you are. You know, I love it. You I'm know. so
7: appreciative. Uh, it, it's so that, What I'm talking about is about open your mouth. It's about connecting. It's about telling someone what you need or want. I I contacted you and said, I I need a forum to talk about (laughs) my product. You need custom, you need uh, someone to come on your show. So it really is about having a strategy and a strategy is simple as an ax, a request. And so when you're in business, these are the type of things that you have to do. I tell a lot of people that have a business, like you're staying too small because you're not opening up yourself to the universe. If you need sales, you need to talk to people. and that—that's all. Sometimes what you need to do is a plan, and I ask. And you'd be surprised. Sometimes people say yes when you ask them a question.
2: I, well, first of all, soon as Samantha called me and said, "Miss Woods want to come back on your show," I said, "Fine." What she wants to talk about? Because I know she's <laughs> not gonna call me just to talk. And so when I heard about the water it got shipped out, I tasted. But more importantly, you know, you can ask. But it tastes great. You know, you know, it's, it, it's hard to say the word taste the water cuz water not supposed to have a taste but it's supposed to feel good it's supposed to make you feel relaxed all those things of what I felt when I drunk the water. And that's what I immediately, I didn't even have a thought of saying I was going to make this water part of my <laughs> show and have it sit on my desk. Because my staff is, no, I'm always complaining because they were laughing But you coming in with these four-piece suits, you know, you know, you're <laughs> always hot. Because I always tell them, turn on this air, turn on this air before we start recording. And so, but this is, allows me to comfortably enjoy myself, also promote a friend because I've always considered your friend and you're a guy who I love to death and can't wait to see you guys this summer or definitely in the fall and visit your show and everything. But, again, get those banners up to me. Again, starting May 6th, this will be the, on my desk on every episode that airs every Thursday night at 9 p.m. in the Atlanta market on AIB TV. They're right now in over 2 million homes. So, Mitch Woods, again, it's about... You being smart enough to open your mouth, you being smart enough to deliver a product that a a customer wants, and I consider myself a customer, not only in the water, but in the bespoke. This vodka is fantastic as well. My staff, when I leave the building, leave this room, they're going to be grabbing me. Now can we have it? Now can we have it? Okay, cool, fine. No, no, I I have this. I'm going to tell you what, I have this. I'm going to send you a picture. I have it in my trophy case with my Emmys and my... Image Award. That's how much I value my relationship with this. Is you sent this to me? It is not being open. It is in that camera. Send you a picture and show it to you. That I'm telling you the truth. It's in my trophy case, and it's a big one that has some of my top honors. And I consider you contacting me by launching a black on. His spirit like this should be recognized and held on to. And they can go drinking on their own time, okay? Not in my cabinet.
7: Thank you, Rashawn. So I am going to send the rum (laughs) and the gin so they can sit side by side. And I'm gonna send your staff
2: some because I know they're looking at you like, come on, bro. They are, they are, they are. <laughs> but send it. But I'm just letting you know when you send it, it's gonna be t- a picture gonna be taken. It's not gonna to be touched. It's gonna to be a Rashad's uh, award winning case of people he respected, and love and visionaries. And I consider you a visionary. Okay. I love
7: that. Thank you so much, and thank you for all of your visionary work. I mean. It is sometimes hard for people to to change what they know. And I think being an entrepreneur is is literally going on a trip that you don't know where where you're going to wind up. And that's the hardest thing for people is is having that faith. And so I think every person that you showcase on your show that tells people to think outside the box gets them one step closer to that freedom that we all as entrepreneurs feel.
2: Thank you. We'll talk soon. If you want to hear more Money Making Conversation interviews, please go to MoneyMakingConversation.com or my YouTube channel. I'm Rashawn McDonald. I am your host.
0: Please remember, always lead with your gifts and don't let your age, friends, family, or co-workers stop you from planning or living your dreams. In this season of giving, Kohl's has gifts for all your loved ones. For those who like to keep it cozy, find fleeces, sweaters, loungewear, blankets, and throws. Or support minority-owned or founded brands by giving gifts from Human Nation and Shea Moisture. And in the spirit of giving, Kohl's Cares is donating $8 million to local nonprofits nationwide. Give with all your heart this season with great gifts from Kohl's or Kohl's.com.
5: Look through your children's eyes and you will discover the true magic of a forest.
6: Find a forest near you and start exploring at discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council.
7: When I was 18 years old... A nun at my high school was brutally murdered. Getting to the truth has opened a Pandora's box of secrets, exposing abuse of power and a world of lies at one Miami monastery.
2: I mean, the woman was stabbed 90 plus times. There's got to be something else going on here.
7: Listen to Sacred Scandal on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.